Big Daddy. Bit. The pot. It's 4400. Alright, I'm gonna call you. Or else I won't respect myself tomorrow morning. Respect is all you have left in the morning. Left card coming. Check. It hurts, doesn't it? You can't believe what fell. All your dreams. Yes. Hops down the f drain. Your fate is sitting right beside you. That ace could not have helped you. That's it. Oh. didn't help me. I flopped the nut straight. Mother f***! You That's it, That's it. What the f*** are you talking about? That's it. Take it back, man. Yes. No more. No. Not tonight. This son of bitch all night. He chick, chick, chick. He trapped me. Well, you feeling satisfied now, Teddy? Because I can go on busting you up all night. Nit! Nit! He beats me. Straight up. Pay him. Pay that man his money. There's just something funny about a guy with an accent saying, Son of a bitch! I don't know why. Just dropping that article makes it funny. Uh, it's the humor of the Soviet mindset. My grandfather used to talk like that. Really? <laughs> when he was... And he called cars machine. <laughs> you move machine. <laughs> uh, it's fantastic. All right. Uh, why, hello. It's 7 minutes and 18 seconds after the hour of 11, and this is the month of August. In the year of our Lord, was everything a machine or just a car? Just a car. What do you call the phone? Just phone? He didn't have a phone. Well, of course not. He had a wood-burning stove. <laughs> he used to put his hand into the flames of logs. <laughs> then he cooked fish. <laughs> were, his hands just, were his hands just covered with just scars and marks and burns and welts and boils and blisters? Yes. Going from, back to the Battle of the Tsars. <laughs> from a long, hard Russian winter. Uh, excellent. I love things and people. Uh, it is uh, the Rick Everson Show live here from the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM 970. The Talker. Uh, thank you for joining us today. It is Tuesday, and welcome to Day 12. It's 503-733-2970. If you want to uh, join us with your comments, questions, clarifications, conventions, two cents, what have ye? Uh, Richie Bristol standing by, ready, willing, and able to pass along your observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, the absurd, the mundane, the pedantic, the willfully obtuse. Uh, you can also email if you like. It's rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. In my head, though, when he says that, he's Bella Lugosi. When your grandfather, you move machine now. 
Yeah, all Eastern Europeans sound the same way. They all sound like Count Chocula. <laughs> Seriously. They all sound like they're about to take you out back and have your feet crushed. <laughs> um, it's uh, Rick at RickEmerson.com, Sarah at 970.am, Tim at 970.am, or uh, Richie with a T at 970.am. If you'd like to uh, email us, phone lines are open. It's uh, Rick at RickEmerson.com. We were doing really well about getting to phone calls pretty early. There was that one glorious week where people would call and we get to the... When we have a vow of like 10 minutes? Was that the deal? If somebody was on hold, we were going to try to get to the calls between 10 minutes and whatever. It was whatever. 10 minutes. And that lasted like four days, and then I just became to, uh, began to slack once again. Uh, we'll try to be better about it. Uh, in any event, it is uh, 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. If you'd like to join us on today's excursion into comedy, whimsy, and all things provocative and entertaining. Here's what's coming up later on today. CNN Radio correspondent Amanda Moyer uh, will join us from the CNN Radio Center in Atlanta. So yesterday we were talking about the Hubble telescope, but I guess today they got... So I'm really unclear about whether they're scratching uh, the space shuttle program or not. Because it, I heard, I thought Ed McCarthy was telling us last year they were just getting rid of the space shuttle. They're just going to junk the thing for parts, and I don't know, we were just going to have to, I don't know, just, just sit here on the ground and stare up at things and make cave paintings again. So I don't really know about it, because apparently they're getting some new thing named Orion uh, right at the launch. Anyway, so for uh, science nerds in the house, we'll talk to CNN uh, correspondent Amanda Moyer about NASA. Uh, Steve Kastenbaum will join us today as we continue to... Here's the thing. I could lie and say that we're going to try to understand more about this face-off between Russia and Georgia, but I don't understand it. You don't understand it. We're not going to understand it any better by the end of the segment. Oh, I understand it. Do you? Does your grandfather understand it? BP has a pipeline that goes right through that country, as, as in British Petroleum. Through Georgia? Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, the entire... What I didn't realize until... I was watching this... Uh, this thing on um, on the Discovery Channel a while back, I think it was. But it was something about the extent to which the current Russian government, and then, of course, the, the Russian mob is part and parcel of that same uh, bureaucratic system. How much of that is funded? You don't really think of oil, uh, Russia as being an oil-producing nation, right? Oh, yeah, they're big. Bless you. You know what a bit? I mean, you know, you think of oil, you think of the Middle East, you think of Saudi Arabia, you think of Kuwait, you think of Iraq or Iran or whatever. But you don't really think of, the, of, of Russia. I keep calling it the Soviet Union, but you don't think of Russia as really being a country that has a lot of oil. But apparently that's just the, the, the massive chunk of that place's economy. And in these trying economic times, uh, I think as Jack Webb once said, there are those who got it and there are those who want it. Sometimes those who want it get it through legal means. Sometimes they take a shortcut. That's when they call me. I carry a match. Uh, so we'll find out more about that later on. We'll see in a radio correspondent, Steve uh, Kastenbaum. Is that... I, I, did, I saw Drudge a while back. Is it Vladimir Putin? They've still got his face up on the... Uh, on Drudge, is that, that, is that who was on Drudge this morning? Yes. The guy looks like Dobby the house elf. Mm -hmm. That's him. He's just a sinister looking guy. He looks like he ought to be hanging upside down inside of a cave somewhere ready to suck the blood out of a cow. Mm -hmm. There's something really... Would you be surprised if you looked at him and like he just had little fluttery wings come out from him? Had to... That's exactly what that guy looks like. Little tiny pointy teeth, pinprick evil eyes. I don't trust him. No, sir. I don't trust him. Uh, let's see. I almost opened the show today with a, what is a communist? But it just sounded a little too dark in light of recent events. It wasn't probably going to inspire the chuckles that I was aiming for. Uh, what else do we have? CNN Radio correspondent James Roop will be joining us today uh, from Los Angeles. Uh, we've also got... Uh, this is the big thing. So coming up at 2 o'clock today, in the 2 o'clock hour, here live, local, relatable, uh, bringing you the news and information you crave as a people. Uh, in the 2 o'clock hour today, we will be welcoming... i got to make sure I get this right. We'll be welcoming Greg Raisman, who is... I don't know, his job title's like a hundred words long, but it's but he's from the but he's from the office of transportation. Now let me just read it once all the way through just to make sure that I get it correct. 
In the 2 o'clock hour today, we will be joined by Greg Raisman, and he is Traffic Safety Specialist for the Community and School Traffic Safety Partnership in the Portland Office of Transportation. So there you go. That is his official title. Memorize it now. Remember it always. Not going to repeat it again. Yeah, but he's basically the guy who right now is sort of the, the, there to be the liaison between bicycles uh, and motorists. Uh, so... Yeah, I don't want to, re- to rehash the whole thing right now. We'll do it later on. But obviously, these have uh, there have been some recent tensions uh, between people in the cycling community and people in the, the, the motorist community. I was talking to, every time I talked to Joni DeRoshi, because she's got some new beef about uh, cyclists, which doesn't come from any place of sort of hostility or malice. It's just that nobody can ever figure out what the F is legal and what isn't. For example, let me just read you this one question. Here we go. This is exactly the kind of thing we're going to ask this guy today. So if you got questions about uh, and, and I don't want it to be confrontational or to be, uh, you know, like a, a kerfuffle or a dust-up or an imbroglio or whatever. But, I mean, you've got questions this has got to ask. And our whole thing was not to get, no disrespect to the cycling community, but I'm going to get some guy from, like, pdxcycle.com or whatever, because then he comes comes at it from perhaps a little bit of a, uh, you know, point of vested interest or perhaps a little bit of a jaundiced viewpoint. But I, they're fronts for communist organizations. That's exactly what they are, Tim. They're part of the Red Menace. What, Sarah? Did you ride your bicycle today? No, I didn't. I drove. See, but so today, so in this room, though, we've got the entire spectrum. Tim drives or takes public transportation. I do. You, uh, you uh, bike a lot, drive sometimes. I drive a lot, bike sometimes. So right here... We are a representative sample of all of Portland. This is true. We are a microcosm of this fine society. And Richie is a motorcycle rider. That's what I'm saying. So we got the we have the whole panoply of life covered right here. Uh, so, uh, but the point we wanted to get somebody on who was sort of objective about it and who wasn't going to have some, you know, wasn't going to have any 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 horse in the race, as they say. So this is the kind of question we're going to be asking this guy in the two o'clock hour. Uh, regarding this is why I never thought of this. Regarding pedestrian crosswalks, Rick. If a cyclist is on the sidewalk and at a crosswalk, must he get off his bike and walk it across the crosswalk? Are we, the motorists, obligated to yield to him if he is not walking his bike? In other words, when walking the bike, do we treat them as pedestrians? And if they're riding the bike, do we treat them as cars? I just want to make sure that I'm not misscowling. So that's exactly the kind of question we're going to have later on. So uh, so the, you can uh, either email them now. Uh, to Rick at RickEmerson.com, or you can call in the 2 o'clock hour. Greg Raisman from the Portland Office of Transportation uh, will be here. What else is coming up? Uh, it, it, from the serious to the scintillating, we have uh, Nina Parker from TMZ.com is going to join us later on. Geek Watch, I think like nine different geek stories today. They announced some of that Star Trek casting. Uh, you're going to be able to buy, buy more crap at an airport. Uh, Gmail went belly up for like two hours yesterday. Penis Watch coming up today. Britney Watch coming up today. Uh, just the, oh, and my new issue of uh, Gothic Beauty Magazine came today. So that's really the big news. Here's Tim Riley working on the following stories for your edification. And so did Radio and TV Interview Report, but I haven't perused it yet. Is your house silently killing you? Yes. That's what? one of the guests. Is your ex ruining your life? How to save on taxes all year long by attending tax school. Anyway. Some of the stories, eco-terrorist Trey Arrow will find out how much time he's going to spend in the pokey today. That plane that crashed and killed five people on the coast was only in the air for a minute. A burning tire is thrown through an Albany school window. The field baby is now in state custody after the mother fails to show up in court. Puppies eat their incapacitated owner. Oh, wow. <laughs> it happened in Washington State. Wow. Russia claims it's uh, done attacking Georgia, but the country says it's still going on. Could this be about oil? 
The ever-vindictive Hillary now blames John Edwards for making her lose. Oh, I saw that this morning. How, that is just nuts. Yeah. I mean, the Clintons are just unraveling. No. <laughs> not, that, not that they had a long time ago, but I mean, seriously. They've always seemed a little tightly wrapped. Um, I saw that, well, because the theory is, which is a theory that, by the way, didn't hold a whole lot of water, in my opinion, but the theory is that if Edwards had either, A, dropped out early or, or just copped to, uh, I don't know, the banging this, uh, this trashy blonde woman, that that then all of those uh, Edwards backers would have gone into the Hillary column, and therefore she would have been the nominee. It wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't be the case. Insane. It's insane. It's not true. You lost. It's more gibberish from the Clintons. Oh, an NYPD plans to lock each and every license plate of every car coming into Manhattan. How is that even possible? I guess with cameras. All right. They, they must be fast cameras. Yeah, there's really... I'm looking... Oh, God. Listen to this. Some of these you almost want to book uh, just as like a goof. Uh, so we've got this. Uh... I'm just going to read this right off the page. It's the radio TV interview report. Will you be eating cat food? Yes. That's what it says here. Got mirrors in your bedroom? Here's what to do with them. Feng shui tips for steamy summer sex. There you go. That's what I'm saying. Really? And, of course, it's from some, you know, it's like some, some gnarly-looking 48-year-old woman. Uh, we're uh, joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented Sarah Rex Dillon. Hello. How are you? Hello. I'm doing very well. I got a lot of sleep last night. I stayed in and... um. It was like a wholesome night. I don't have many wholesome nights, you know, so I stayed in and I clean, actually cleaned my apartment and watched TV and, like, went to bed early. It you know what weird. it is? You know, it's because you're preserving your mystique. I mean, it would be very easy for you just to be out on the town gallivanting about the, indulging in a rich social life every single night. Every now and again, you got to throw people off. you got to go the opposite way. You stay home, you drink I some water, you watch television. Night. Yeah, I know, because I, I had a bunch of friends going on. I, just, I just did not feel it. Can I tell you this? I don't mean to be just, uh, just talking a, a lot about sitting around doing nothing. Because um, really, how interesting can you make that? But I will tell you that uh, Laura and I recently made this sort of pact to to just buckle down and do whatever it takes to keep the house tidy. You know what I mean? I mean, it's not going to be like spotless all the time. But you know, we would. My apartment's nice. I went through all my piles of clothes and everything, and everything's put in its proper place now. I have to tell you, and I mean, you know, we're preaching to choir here with Tim because Tim is uh, Tim is both span and spick. Uh, but I mean, that it, it just. I know I sound like some fruity shrink, but I mean, it just takes so much, like, it, it takes so much energy out of you when you walk in uh, the door at home and the house is just a sty. You kind of walk in, you're like, ugh, God. And that makes you not want to be at home, and when you are at home, you're grumpy, because you're walking around tripping over things, you're going into the kitchen, there's a horde of fruit flies coming out of the sink, you're trying to find a shirt to wear in the morning, and you got piles that are like, you got piles of clothing, like, like the, the size of a small state, and you're having to root through them just to find the other black sock that's gone missing. So... Uh, but we buckled down, man. I got like, I, I think I got, I think the, the woman at the laundromat, I think she did 85 button-down shirts for me. I mean, she got them all done, washed, pressed, starched, bagged, hanging up in my, I feel like Frank Sinatra right now because I, you walk, I walk into my, uh, I got this walk-in closet at home. This morning, I'm wearing this uh, shirt right now. I go into the closet, and there's just the whole rack of shirts, and it just sort of stretches on for several feet, and I can kind of, I can do that thing of standing and sort of considering myself in the morning and running my hand along the row of shirts and saying, what will it be today, black or off black? The world is my oyster. And then I dress, and then I feel fantastic. But the but the living room is clean, the kitchen is clean, the bedroom is clean, my office is clean. When I think that's the first time in probably, no lie, like six months, that the entire house has been tidy. So now we just, the thing is, we just got to not backslide. You know what I mean? You just, it's like Brian Wilson said. One day you're not brushing your teeth, and the next day you're in a sandbox soiling yourself. It's just a, it's a, it's a real short road from here to there. So well, we there's gotta... no excuse, because linens and things is going out of business, and everything's like 70% off. <laughs> well, that does it, Tim. That seals it for me. 
Uh, hey, wait, here's an awkward interview title. This is from the Radio TV Interview Report. Financial Divorce Rape. Learn how not to be a victim. Financial Divorce Rape? That's what it says in huge point type. Oh, this is genius. That's page 45. Financial Divorce Rape. All right. There you go. Uh, let's see. Well, what else? Uh, oh, speaking of uh, being at home last night, so I watched uh, Mad Men, uh, Episode 3, Season 2 last night. God, what a messed up show that is. So my question is, when that rather rotund woman yes. was shown, what other movie scene did that bring to mind? Um, You mean, okay, so if you haven't seen Mad Men last night, we'll just do uh, This will be a very finite time of discussion because I don't want to sit and drone on about something you have seen. The wife uh, But there's, there was, boy, but can we just say this for a second? We're not going to talk to Peter Carlin until tomorrow, but last night's Mad Men, and now I know what that guy was calling yesterday, saying, like, have you seen the Mad Men from Sunday? Because... I don't know about you, but I just related to that episode in so many different ways. Uh, because basically, you know, Mad Men is about an advertising agency. But there was this really great, uncomfortable scene where there is a, uh, I guess, sort of an edgy comic of the day, sort of a Don Rickles type. Uh, and he's there voicing an ad for a type of snack food. And the, co the, the snack food, the company's owner and his sort of larger wife uh, appear, and they're on the set watching the commercial being filmed. It reminded me of that scene out of Radio Days. Exactly. Totally. The, the uh, I like her. I hate her. Get rid of her. But yeah. it didn't happen this time because he was on the contract. And so there's this great, this, uh, this sort of insult comedian, and he's busy filming a TV commercial for this snack food. And the company's owner and his large wife show up, and the comedian just starts ripping into her for being, you know, for being overweight or whatever. Uh, it was just, and then he had to go, and he had to sort of toady up and apologize later. And uh, by the way, how great was this? How great was that they worked in a very real thing from history, which is that episode of The Defenders with E.G. Marshall, where they say abortion 31 times in yeah. 52 minutes. And you know that that actually happened. I mean, that was a, it was, it, I was really gr uh, glad, you know, just I'm a company man to see a CBS uh, show from ba way back when. It sort of worked into there. But, um, anyway, just, it just, but I have to tell you this, is I got two observations to make about Mad Men, and then we'll move on to some, uh, to some other stuff. I got some random observations to make, uh, uh, about last night. I got a pile of notes, and I got one small show note. Two observations about Mad Men, though. A, I could not be less interested in the character of Don Draper's wife. I've tried. I have tried so hard to find her compelling or to find her sort of the gravity to her character or to find something there that I can kind of grab onto. There's just no traction. There's no adhesion with me and that character. And it's not because she's a female character. There's lots of female characters in that show who are great. Joan Holloway is great. Obviously, Peggy, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the sales girl is great. I mean, there's a lot of female characters in there who really are sort of gripping, where you watch them and you really are invested in, in how their character arcs unfold. That wife of Don Draper's is just a spoiled little child, and she bugs the hell out of me. Every time she's on the screen, I just find myself looking at my watch going, i got to go get a sandwich. I just, you know, and this is, the, this is, by the way, the mark of a television character that is either unlikable or badly drawn or badly acted. When Don Draper's wife comes on the screen, I will go into the kitchen to get a snack, and I don't even pause it. Because usually if it's a show that I'm really into, you're watching Mad Men, you're watching The Wire, you're watching The Shield, you're watching Battlestar. You get up, you got to get yourself some Tim's habanero chips from the kitchen. What do you do? You pause it, you walk into the kitchen, you get your snack, go back at the couch, settle down, dog jumps back up on the couch, he tries to get the chips, you put the dog back on the couch, you eat the chips, you turn on the TiVo, you keep watching. What's her name? B Betty Draper comes on the screen. Man, I just go, I just gotta, I go take a bathroom break, I go pick up my shoes for the next morning. I don't even stop the show. I, I don't. I don't care about her. I don't. I never have, and I'm going to give up trying. It's just not. It's a waste of my energy. Second of all, it, it, that moment where Don Draper. I have to be very careful how I phrase this on the radio. That moment where Don Draper is sort of back in the parlor area of that restaurant with the comedian's wife slash manager, 
And they are attempting to negotiate an apology from the comedian to the sponsor and his wife. And Don Draper gra- full-on grabs the woman in a very delicate area. And maybe not the one you would immediately think of. It wouldn't be on network TV. Jesus. I mean, he in her swimsuit area, one might say. Haunted, like he, he, you see his hand vanish, and suddenly she goes, wow! And you realize he has grabbed her in the most private of private places. And it, and it was just weird. I mean, I don't even know if I, I don't know if it was good or if it was bad. It was just surreal. It was a strange moment. Uh, not like a whole lot of things you see on television. It was, uh, and it was all very weird. What anyway, channel is this on? It's on AMC. Okay. Which is cable, so I mean, they, theoretically, they could do whatever. They, the AMC, they could run porn if they wanted. I mean, it's not network television, but it's, but it was, it's just the sort of thing that you don't, it kind of catches you off guard. Not the sort of thing you really expect to see. Uh, so, all right. Uh, so, Mad Men, by the way, for those who expressed interest in this, uh, if you go to rickemerson.com, uh, I have scanned, uh, with the help of Bridget from upstairs, and posted many of the illustrations from my kindergarten Stations of the Cross book. Uh, and they're just as disturbing. I was looking at them this morning, and they're just as weird and messed up as they were when we looked at them yesterday. This one, this station number, whatever it is, like 12 or 5 or whatever, uh, where Jesus is stripped of his robe, I mean, I think that's the, 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 probably flat out the most horrifying one of all of them. The one with the cl- crying clown face? Yeah, like, seriously. That one's freaky. Jesus looks like some weird satanic bozo who's weeping tears of blood. It just doesn't make any sense at all. So uh, if you want to go to rickemerson.com, uh, you can see those stations with the cross photos. Uh, let's see. Uh, what else? Um, let me just do a couple of uh, show notes here. Uh, I think I'll just do this one. So for the longest time, we have had voice number one and voice number two. And occasionally you will hear guys call up and they will identify themselves as either voice one or voice two. Uh, or they will ask which voice I believe them to be. Voice number one is the kind of older classic rock guy, probably with a ponytail, and who saw the Allman Brothers a whole lot back at the Fillmore. That's voice number one. Voice number two is kind of a smart aleck guy, talks like this, plays a lot of Xbox, and, uh, you know, calls up to uh, tell me about the... Uh, uh, what's up, Rick? And then, like, goes right What's up, Rick? Have you seen that great spread that Katie Sackhoff did in Men's Vogue? I mean, she is a luscious peach. Let me tell you that. It's that guy. Or whatever. Or he calls up to ask me what my gamer tag is. Uh, that's voice number two. I now have a new voice. There is voice number three. And voice number three is one that we heard a lot yesterday. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you voice... Number three. Shiny, a slang term for great use in the television series Firefly and the movie Serenity. Also voice number three. They're saying uh, they're about the hundreds coming in, just taking out a bunch of plants. And uh, we're just seeing a really bumper crop this year. See also the booby doctor. So there you go. That is now voice number three on the Rick Emerson Show. So the older one is number one, the smart-ass one is number two, and then number three is the nerdy one. Number three is the nerdy one. Yes, it is. All right. Uh, Okay, I got uh, one more thing we can do here before the bottom, then we're going to have to break. Uh, We'll come back with Amanda Moyer. Uh, What do we want to do? I'll let you all choose. Uh, I can either read you terrible news story, ask a geek question to which I don't know the answer, or I can give you uh, my observation about a film. Well, the geek question would be unproductive for Tim and I if you don't know it. Yeah. Well, we have to figure it out, though. For it's somebody who has asked a question, and I don't really know the answer. And we have to find out the answer for him because that's what we do here. We solve people's problems. Eh, later. Okay, so you've either got a terrible story or a movie observation. Movie observation. Yeah. Okay. I don't know when the last time I talked about this was, but I was thinking about it today because Dennis Miller referenced it. You know the weirdest movie ever made is The Blue Lagoon. I mean, there's just no way on earth that you could make that movie now. Yeah, Brooke Shields is a little creepy in that. It's not just... I mean, aren't they like 12? Yeah. Aren't the yeah. kids in the Blue and Lagoon... they're trying to, like, pretend to be grown-ups, and they're all... They're not pretending like... to be grown-ups, Sarah. They're acting very grown-up. Uh, to the extent... Because... And there's that whole creepy moment in the Blue Lagoon 
which I think did have a couple of sequels, sort of like directed video, sort of cash-in jobs, like in the late 80s. But The Blue Lagoon, if you haven't seen it, you really ought to, A, because it's a funny film to reference, B, because, what's his name, Christopher Atkins has that great, like, he has that great, like, white man's fro going on, which is great. Uh, and also just because it's, you get to see that they do that thing with Brooke Shields all through it, that Daryl Hannah in Splash thing, where they take her hair, and I think they must have just literally like glued her hair on either side to the front of her bosoms so that she would walk along the beach and you wouldn't see anything. Because, again, I think she was like 13 when they filmed it. But her mother was always putting her in softcore porn anyway. Boy, that, that mom of hers must a be a piece of work. Yeah. Do you remember that creepy Calvin Klein jeans commercial that Brooke Shields did? Do you remember that, Sarah? Have you ever seen the creepy Brooke Shields Calvin Klein commercial? Oh, yeah, when she was like 13 Scandalous. or something. And she was... Nothing comes between me and my Calvins. Pause. Nothing. I'm not wearing any underwear. I mean, that's, that's what it is. I mean, it's the implication of it. Uh, so I was hearing Dennis Miller talk about the Blue Lagoon. And the Blue Lagoon, the plot of the movie is that there's this shipwreck at sea. And there's like Chris Atkins and Brooke Shields who are like, like seven years old. They get in a, la uh, a lifeboat, you know, a raft or whatever. And then they wash up on a desert island. And then they live on the island for like nine years, during which time they just uh, like hump it out relentlessly. And at one point, have a baby. Which leads to the great moment where Brooke Shields just says to him, why did I have a baby? And then they just cut to the next morning. And you're sitting there on the sofa kind of scrubbing yourself going, why am I watching this? And that's on the short list of movies you could never make today. Also on the list, Heathers. We'll take a break. Back after this, uh, Amanda Moyer from the CNN Radio Center, Steve Kastenbaum, Jim Roop. Uh, we'll have the audience answer this geek question for Randy uh, and Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. <laughs> Rick Emerson Radio Program, an excursion into whimsy and amusement. It's 503-733-2970, 503-733-2970, coming up in just a few, seeing a radio correspondent, Steve Kastenbaum, we'll talk to Amanda Moyer in like three and a half seconds. Uh, later on, Jim Roop, Tim Riley, the Ministry of Truth, Truth, Truth. Uh, don't forget, going out to today, we have a family pack of AST Do Tour tickets. Uh, that's happening August 21st to the 24th, featuring the greatest talent in skateboarding, BMX, freestyle, motocross tickets on sale now through Comcastics with an X, uh, dot com. And I got my new issue of Gothic Beauty. It's right here in my hand. I haven't opened it yet. Arrived in the mail. Uh, here's one thing I'm noticing about it uh, that's just freaky right off the bat. On the front, the, the, you know, because every every uh, every issue of Gothic Beauty, of course, has this, like, hot Gothic girl on the front. But the headline here is, Magical and True to Life, the Creations of Dull Artist, uh, Virginia Ropars. In, so, and then it's right next to this girl here, and I can't tell if it's a real girl or if that is, in fact, a doll. So now it's all, now I'm all confused inside because I don't know whether I'm supposed to say, hey, what a hot I girl that is in the front. Girl. I can't really tell, though. Doesn't it look like it might be a doll? Do you see my problem? Because the girls on the cover of Gothic Beauty okay, magazine yeah. are always really attractive, but I can't tell if that's a real no, girl or like a doll. The, like the doll dead eyes. Like she looks like she has real eyes. Well, maybe that's the breakthrough, though. I'm just no, no, saying. Hands look real. I, I'm pretty sure it's a real girl. I don't feel that I can be emotionally invested in the girl on the cover of Gothic Beauty magazine until I find out whether or not she's made out of plasticine. Because okay. it'd just be weird. Am I oversharing? Mm -hmm. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from the CNN Radio Center in Atlanta. I apologize for horrifying you just now. It's Amanda Moyer. Hi. Hi. Good morning. How are you today? I'm well. How are you? I'm okay, if a little confused, and not just about the doll thing. So there's the space shuttle program, which I admit, I think Ed McCarthy and I had, had talked about this at some point in the recent past, and the 
the implication was, and maybe I'm wrong about this, uh, was that they were going to sort of mothball the space shuttle program. That they that they were either you know that either has come to a halt or they were going to bring it to a halt, and they were kind of you know kind of scrap that program. And then it was unclear whether they were going to be doing some sort of like next gen thing, whether there was going to be a follow up uh, to the space shuttle. So uh, so is that is the space shuttle program first of all is that gone or going away? Well, the shuttle, they're getting rid of the space shuttles, but they are doing a next-generation Orion spacecraft. But it's it's different. Um, the space shuttles now, they land kind of like airplanes, and when they come in, usually to Kennedy Space mm-hmm. Center in Florida. But the Orion is a capsule that will parachute to a landing at Edwards Air Force Base in California. That's pretty great. So now will it do... Will the Orion, will it be shot into space on the, you know, the tip of a rocket or something, kind of the way they used to do with the capsule sort of back in the 60s? Sort of. It'll be different. See, the problem is there's some concerns about, because it's a small, like I said, it's a small capsule. So there's also some concerns about safety. Um, apparently, also in addition to um, them delaying the program, the Aerospace Safety Advisory Panel came out and said that some NASA employees were a little bit unsure of how this was going to work and the safety of it. So there's some debate within the program about the Orion spacecraft. And so what, what purpose will the Orion spacecraft serve on these missions? Will it do sort of the same thing that the space shuttle was doing? Because I know there was, A, there was sort of uh, the repairing of satellites. Uh, you know, there was sort of putting small uh, um, you know, probes into space sometimes from the bay of the space shuttle. And occasionally, the, and then they would also have these, like, weird science experiments where they would just take up, like, you know, like a crate full of earthworms just to see, like, what happened to them in zero gravity. Is this, mission-wise, is this just going to be an extension of what the space shuttle was doing? Well, I think it'll, they'll still do some of that, but since the space shuttles are aging and, you know, there was so many problems with foam and everything, that's why they're kind of moving toward this Orion version. But what it's basically going to do is to transport astronauts to and from the space station and eventually back to the moon. NASA wants to go back to the moon in the year 2020, so that would be a big deal, and they want to do that with this Orion Here's a question, and maybe you can speak to this, maybe you can't. I don't really know. What is the purpose of going back to the moon? I'm not trying to knock it just for the sake of knocking it, but it sort of means, I mean, it's just a big rock, right? There's, there's not a whole lot there. Well, that's a good point, because I'm, I'm not exactly sure why they want to go back, but I know because, you know, we've already done that. But I, I do know that they want to do more exploration and, and start using the Orion to do that. But it might just be more of those science experiments and doing more testing and, and advancing our knowledge of the moon. And going to the moon at this point just seems like, you know, once you've beaten the game, going back and playing the first two levels of Super Mario Brothers over again for no real, you know, like apparent reason, just just sort of because you got nothing better to do. But perhaps I perhaps there's a larger picture that I'm not seeing, Amanda. I'm uh, I'm willing to admit that I have a tiny brain and it sometimes doesn't serve me all that well. Uh, what is the what is the timeline for when the Orion project's going to kick in? Well, now they're saying that it should be September of 2014. They had wanted to do it in 2013, but they're delaying it one year because of funding problems. And basically, those extra costs are all coming from them still doing the International Space Station. They're still building that. There's still several launches planned to uh, complete the International Space Station. And once they've completed that, they're going to be able to focus more funding toward the Orion spacecraft. All right. Then. Uh, as we wrap uh, this up, I thank you so much. Have I ever asked you, uh, Amanda Moyer, what your favorite Billy Joel song is? You have, and I think I answered saying Piano Man. Ah, excellent. All right. How foolish of me to have forgotten. Well, I appreciate you re-clarifying it for me. <laughs> All right. Enjoy your day, Amanda. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. You thank too. Thank you. CNN Radio correspondent Amanda Moyer. 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 I think you need to find a new question.
Well, I can't remember who I've you, asked I and who I haven't. I keep asking the same people over and over again, really? but I'm not telling you. Is that the thing? Mm-hmm. All right, okay. Uh, well, what should my follow-up question be? I have nothing. I don't even know how I arrived at that. I think it's because he just played the Super Bowl, and we were having a whole discussion about Billy Joel. And, and, you know, it was my fault, too, because compulsive as I am about many things, I never kept a list. Like, I should have just, because this wouldn't be crazy, I should have just put a whiteboard up in the studio, like a dry erase board, and kept track of who had answered the Billy Joel question and who hadn't. Because, as you're saying, I probably have asked, in fact, I know I've asked a couple people more than once, and then there's other people I probably haven't asked at all. Ira Melman, for example. Mm-hmm. All right, well, i got to come up with some follow-up question. How about favorite TV mother? Who is your favorite TV mother? Are you asking me? Well, I could be. <laughs> I was thinking. Well, that question just escaped into the void of space, and then there was just a big vacuum. Uh, I'm I, just think saying... I, liked, I think I liked uh, Libby from Life Goes On. Yeah. Um, uh, I used to have a, a friend named Katie, and her whole thing was uh, it was Esther Roll uh, from uh, from Good Times. Um, and you know, having having asked that, I don't really know what my answer would be right off. Now I got to think on it. Mm, wait, wait. No, I got nothing. All right, 503 uh, We'll get Steve Kastenbaum in a second. I got to say this. Um, we got to, and we got this geek story to do as well. I do have this question, and it's, I mean, I'm probably asking it now, and then it's going to consume more time to talk about it than we really have here. But I've never really, like, I don't know what the what the International Space Station looks like. Do you know what I mean? Uh, like in my head, it looks like Skylab because that's the only sort of frame of reference I had, and because I grew up in the 70s, and I would watch that in the news thing on Saturday morning, where the voice of Bob Schieffer, whoever, would talk about how Skylab was going to crash and kill us all. So I don't really know what the International Space Station looks like, and at this point, I almost don't want to know because it seems like it would almost certainly be anticlimactic. Is it some like Star Wars kind of thing? In totally, your head? like in your head, doesn't it just mm-hmm. go? Isn't it like in your head? Let me ask you this: In your head, isn't the International Space Station like a giant mall of America, but mm-hmm. like in space? It looks kind of like the Borg. Totally, yeah. It, or, or like that, uh, or like that ship in, in Mystery Science Theater, the movie, where he's just like sort of walking around and well, it's it like this huge station. bone. That means it has to be pretty decent sized, right? I would guess, but I mean, they're calling it an international space station, but maybe that's just a like maybe that's just a word they use just to make us think it's more impressive than it really is. Oh, because it has to be big enough for um, space, spaceships to like attach to it and stuff, right? Well, I don't really know, but I mean. But what does that really take? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, all that really means is that a spaceship has to be able to pull up next to it. So it could be, in other words, here's what I'm saying. It could be the Jubitz truck stop, or it could be like one of those uh, little tiny Chevron stations that's frustrating because you pull up thinking they have snacks and they only have gas Mm -hmm. and, like, a place to fix your tires. Huh. Hmm. Yep. All right, then. Steve Katzenbaum, ladies and gentlemen. CNN radio correspondent from the great city of New York. Hello, sir. Hey, I'm looking at pictures of it. It looks pretty big. This is the International Space Station? Yeah. Are you looking at pictures of the inside or the outside? Both. Uh, If you go on NASA's website, they have photos of it up there. Is it impressive? Would I find it, in your opinion, uh, would I find it anticlimactic, sir? I don't think so, because I'm looking at pictures of, of people inside... And it uh, looks like they've got a lot of room in there. I mean, really? Because in my head, all of those space stations, they either look like the thing from 2001 or they look like, uh, you know, like uh, the Nostromo in the, you know, an alien or something. Uh, and so if I basically if I looked at the space shuttle and it was just the same thing of like a cramped cabin and a guy floating around eating jello, you know, you know, <laughs> floating in front of him, uh, then I think it would just be uh, it'd be a big letdown. So I've chosen not to look this far. No, it actually looks pretty impressive. It's made up of all these different uh, units that have been brought up on different missions, either uh, from Japan 
or Russia or the U.S. on, uh, on one of the shuttles, and then they connect them together. And every once in a while, they bring up a new unit. And, and wait a minute. So, yeah, That's hold on. Being cool. Are you telling me that the International Space Station is, at its core, at its base, at its essence, that it is effectively just some sort of astronomical habit trail? Yeah, you know what? That's a great way of putting it. I'm looking at this uh, picture of it. That's exactly what it looks like. All right, then. Well? With a lot of solar panels. <laughs> it, yeah. It's the habit trail of tomorrow. Really All right. Is. Well, there you go. Or like one of, or like one of those expandable like Lego sets or something. Hey, let me ask you this: Did you know at the Lego headquarters they've got a vault uh, that's like 30 feet underground behind walls of solid steel, granite, and reinforced concrete that contains one copy of every single Lego set, collection, playset, or uh, figure that has ever been put out? You know why I know this? My wife, as a child, was. A, a Lego freak. She built like Lego cities in her uh, basement as a kid. Really? Yeah, and we saved all of her childhood Lego pieces so that when we have kids, they'll be able to play with them. That's pretty great. Lego is really great. I always felt bad. There was always that one kid on your block that didn't get Lego blocks. You got Duplo. And Duplo blocks were always for... Duplo was for like if you were one of those kids wearing a helmet. You know what I mean? That's uh, Duplo box were not. They were not for the regular kid. That was for the short bus kid. And so I would always, you know, you'd always sort of look at those kids with a mixture of sort of like revulsion and pity. Uh, my other observation about this would be I think they're missing out on some fantastic uh, marketing opportunity. Uh, you know, what the Lego company, and this is so obvious that it's, it pains me to even have to mention it, that it hasn't been done yet. The Lego company and the Ego company ought to get together, put out Legos. And they are bright blue or bright red waffles that have the little novelty things on them. I'm surprised. I'm surprised that that has not already been done. It hadn't happened. That sounds like a no-brainer. I'm saying right now. I mean, uh, you know, that's uh, that's two great brands that sell great together, sir. That's what that is. You're all right. right. You're absolutely right. Uh, all right. Well, we're. I hate to move this into bleak territory, but I. Uh, so I. I don't even know. I don't even know where we are with with the, the, the Russia, you and Georgia thing. I guess that from what I from what I was able to sort of suss out from my read in the news this morning, and it it is just such a terribly complicated story to try to unravel with the mediocre brain power that I have. But 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 the Bush administration did. I mean, it wasn't an ultimatum, but the Bush administration has sort of said like, hey, like knock it off, like don't make us don't make us come over there, right? Oh, not just knock it off. I mean, they've been using some really strong language talking uh, about this seriously uh, damaging U.S.-Russian relations and talk like that. And uh, they've been using some very strong language, as, as have the leaders of many other nations, telling Russia uh, enough is enough. And uh, the French president, who's also the president of the uh, European Union right now, is in Russia, and he was standing side by side with Russia's president, not uh, Putin, but the president, uh, Medvedev, uh, talking about that Russia has agreed to essentially to a ceasefire and they'll work out the other deals later, uh, the other details later. But, you know, we still get reports on the ground about troop movements and some uh, skirmishes, so it's really hard to assess right now whether or not uh, what we're hearing uh, from the, the leaders is actually what's taking place on the ground. You know, this whole world is just one big stack of wobbly plates. Uh, I mean, I don't mean to sound nihilistic about it, but I mean, it really is all you... All you're doing, this whole, it's like I was coming downstairs this morning. My office is up on the second floor of the building. We're here sort of in the, in the basement or whatever. And I was coming downstairs, and I'm kind of a pack rat, and I never really throw anything away. And we keep all these news stories. And Sarah has seen this. I come down the stairs, and I'm like flow on Alice. I got, 
uh, two huge minimal folders, a legal pad, a big black book, probably five inches of news stories, all my stuff for today, a coffee cup, uh, a bottle of uh, Viso, which is this fine beverage that we drink here, my huge Nalgene, or Nalgene, I never know what it is, water bottle, my pen, and my headphones, all in one single stack, carried precariously on one hand as I come down the stairs two at a time. And... That really is just what international relations are like, right? And, and just at, 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 at any, seriously, at any moment, all you're really doing is just holding on and just desperately trying not to let everything fall over. And then sometimes it does, and you get World War II, and then you got to spend all this time putting it back together again. And then you just spend the next 15 years, and sometimes one thing falls off. Sometimes the whole freaking pile falls on the floor. And right now, we're at the very wobbly stage, it seems like. You know, it's really funny that you made the comparison to World War II, because uh, there were a bunch of... Georgian demonstrators out by the United Nations yesterday. I was talking to them, and many of them were making the comparison to uh, Germany uh, before World War II truly went uh, worldwide and said, you know, they, they appeased Germany when, when Germany started going into its neighbors' countries and the world didn't do anything about it. Well, the same thing is happening with Russia, and if they don't stand up to Russia now with Georgia, that uh, there's the likelihood that uh, Russia would uh, see this as uh, approval to go ahead and do the same thing in, in larger countries like uh, the Ukraine, where they're not uh, happy about the Western-leaning government there. Mm. Uh. Um, hey, as, as before we uh, wrap this up here, uh, Tim Riley, our news director, handed this to me, and we had mentioned this this morning, but I, I wanted to ask you about it. Is it what is this business they're going to try to track every single car that goes into Manhattan? Uh, you know, it, it's not Manhattan, but it's um, down in lower Manhattan, around the World Trade Center site. Uh, the police department uh, sort of announced uh, unofficially, let, let out these details about wanting to create sort of like their own like Baghdad-style green zone around the World Trade Center site, you know, where everything going in and going out is controlled because it'll be such a high-profile uh, location when it's finally completed, when the construction is done and the Freedom Tower and all the buildings and the memorial are done. But uh, people are really up in arms about that, saying it needs to be an open area for re reflection and we shouldn't uh, consider it like a fortress. And it seems like if you want to convey the message to people that something is going to work efficiently and serve its intended purpose, probably comparing it to anything in Baghdad is, is, is ill-advised. Yeah, I don't know if the police department did that, but that's the analogy that a lot of newspaper mm. writers were making this morning. Uh, all right, my friend. Um, hey, hey Rick, uh, yes. I, I, just, I just emailed Sarah a photo of the International Space Station. Excellent. Okay, so, well, yeah, I'll check it out. Um, I'll check it out because now it's like, now you, now you get to scratch the itch. Now i got to know. So, all right, my friend, enjoy your day. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. There so you long. go. CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum. Um, all right. And keeping... I can't tell the scale. Like, it looks it looks like a pirate ship, but in space. You need a baseball in front of it or something to give it some... Mm -hmm. um, by the way, in keeping with our pledge, we're trying to get to all calls today within 10 minutes, because I've started to slack on that again. We'll get to these calls here in just a second. Some folks on hold. Uh, so I'm going to open up the... Uh, you know, here's the thing. Did you see this thing that came out the other day? There was some story in Yahoo News uh, about these... Yeah, i got to figure out whether this is a... I think this is a, I think this is a real woman this on the front. This looks like a very airbrushed woman. Yeah. Her I'm, hands look real and her eyes look real. No, and her um no, and her hair looks real too. This is such a creepy conversation. Mm -hmm. I like you. Your hair looks real. Well, does it look clear now that it's out of the plastic? No, I can't really tell. I'm going to have to read the article. Um the thing about Gothic Beauty magazine is really really great. I mean, if you you know, if you're if you're into like goth girls or culture or whatever, it really it really is cool, but it's but it can... Even if you're not, it's interesting to get, like, a peek into that culture. And, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love goth girls. You know I do. But, the, you know, the thing about goth girls is, like, goth girls are like girls uh, from Clackamas in that 
it really is difficult to tell if they're actually attractive because you got like a full-on Tammy Faye Baker makeup application going on there. I mean, a guy's basically got a big gun filled with fan foundation and he, you know, just shot at your face. So it really is. Got that girls, I think, are almost always better just enjoyed from afar. Because you get the idea if you were to give them a good scrubbing, you know, it's like a whole different story under there. Um, anyway, before we get to these calls, I saw the creepiest and coolest thing yesterday. So in Japan, of course, they've begun to sell these contact lenses for girls that will give you anime eyes. Oh, like the huge pupils? Yes, the huge watery, you know. But, you know, the anime girls where they've got the huge eyes and they're sort of disproportionate to their face. Mm -hmm. And they're real watery, you know what I mean? They're real liquidy looking. So now in Japan, they sell these contact lenses that will give, like, you could put them in, uh, and they will give you eyes that look like an anime character's eyes. They are so freaky looking. And there was a picture of a girl wearing them, and it was like, I couldn't, you know, and I'm not a guy who's like, I mean, whatever, but I'm not, I'm not a guy who's like really into the anime. Like, I don't, I don't get the anime as sex object thing. I just don't, I don't, I don't get that. And I mean, I know there's a whole, huge section of the, of the geek culture that is into that, uh, that is into sort of anime and anime erotica or, you know, whatever. And, and that's not my deal. But I'm sort of fascinated by people who are fascinated by it, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? To me, to me, it's a little bit like the foot fetish in that, like, I don't have the foot fetish, but I'm fascinated by people who are for some reason because it's just, it's just, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's just weird. Uh, but this girl with these anime contact lenses, it was so unnerving. Uh, I Where mean, did you see this? I don't know. I'll find him. Uh, I think it was on Dig. I think I saw the article on Dig.com, but I'll find it for you. It was, uh, it was, she did look like an alien. It was just, it was really creepy. All right. Uh, bless you. All right. Let's see. Jay. Oh, five seconds no. too early, Jay. All right. And that was only like four minutes he was on hold. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, Rick. How can I help you, sir? Hey, first, first comment, uh, Marion Cunningham from Happy Days. Totally. What a great mom she was. She yeah. was very soothing. She was so sweet. Yep called Fonzie Arthur and all that. Uh, second thing is that, you know, I, I hate to burst your bubble, but Lego and Ego have gotten together. Is that true? They've already put out a product. That is true. Is yeah, it my, just called Legos? I think that's what they called them, L-E-G-G-O. That is great. And uh, they weren't colored. They were just waffle colored. Oh, see, but they should have been. But they should have been, been. They should have been really bright sort of primary colors. You know what I mean? But so. I was kind of conflicted because my 12-year-old son, you know, went, went ape for them. And, and so you have this conflict between, yes, he's eating his breakfast, but he's also playing with his food. Well, you know, I mean, it, 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 a, a, a jubilant zest for life is to be encouraged, my friend. Well, and sometimes oppressed, but, you know. All right. Thank you, my, thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. There you go. Thank you, sir. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. Uh, 503-733-2970. Those are messed up. Do you see the contact lenses? Yeah, and some of them are just all people. Let me see if it's the same one that, uh, that Actually, I saw. Uh, go back to that. Yeah, yeah, so, me... Some of them are just like all pupil. Oh, see, that's less extreme than the ones I and saw. And then there's this the one. The ones I saw were, they were insane. I mean, they were, they were messed up. Now, see, I gotta find. I gotta find the ones okay, that I saw where they were that? they were huge because what they, because what they basically I mean, they can't make your eye any bigger, obviously. But what they do is they take the is it the iris that's I colored? Think it's the iris. Yeah. They make the iris like bright green and real. I always say li liquidy, but you know, very shiny. Uh, they take the iris and they make it a bright color, almost not even real, like a bright color, and they make it huge. Uh, yeah, I now like I got Astro Boy. Exactly. Uh, girl. Yes, or Nova. Uh, let's see. We'll do these calls and we'll take a break. Come back to Tim Riley. Hi, sir, madam, is the case, maybe. Hey, Rick, how's it going? What's up? Um, okay, two things really quickly. Steve Kostenbaum stole my thunder. I was going to tell you essentially that the uh, NASA space station or the International Space Station is essentially an astronomical human habit trail. Fantastic. 
And you should totally check out the Discovery Channel series, When Man Left Earth. It is a fantastic series. It's narrated by Gary Sinise. Uh-huh. It's a lot about, um, one of the things that really hit home with me was eventually, uh, or essentially NASA's arrogance with, uh, arrogance with the, uh, Challenger disaster. The launch never should have taken place because the weather was too cold for the O-rings to right. hold up. And three of the seven astronauts were actually alive from uh, after the explosion, and they died when they hit the water. What? They were but unconscious until they hit the water. That's unnerving. The you know the Very, it's, it's, and the whole thing is just they have um, you know Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, and it's really fascinating. I think you'd totally be into it. The uh, the, the real I mean the good news bad news about this right now is that the, recently I think in the wake of Apollo 13 there are so many. Great documentaries, because there's one called From the Earth to the Moon. There's another one that Ron Howard did called In the Shadow of the Moon. Now there's this one you're talking about. I mean, really, it's I need yeah. a whole separate self just to watch TV. The Ron, the Ron Howard one is essentially the documentary about Apollo 13, like you said. That's a great one. Um, okay, one more thing, and yeah. I'm not going to keep on you. <laughs> um, along the lines of white wheat, sourdough, English muffin, bagel. Take you down a little walk down my memory lane here. I've uh, born and raised in this town. This is Toomey, my ninth grade biology teacher at Highland Park Junior High in Beaverton, Oregon. I will never forget it. They will be my dying words. Ninth grade biology, kingdom phylum, class order, family, genus, species. Excellent. Good for you. Thank you. Yeah. All, All right. right. There you go. You rule. All right. Excellent. Oh, I found the green eyes. King Philip Chase's old fat Girl Scouts. What? <laughs> I found the green eyes. Um, oh, is it? Let me see one more time. Is that the same one I was? Uh, it says, "Want to get big, watery, shiny eyes without any surgery." That's the girl I was talking about. That how weird is that? That's nuts. I kind of want to try them. Me too. Like, don't you almost? And then just walk around the station to go. They do look pretty cool. What? What are you looking at? You know, just and deny that there's anything different. Are you looking at my eye? <laughs> Let's see if we can get a trade. Hey, uh, you it's know, only like thirty to thirty bucks. Stranger things have happened. All right, Kingdom Phylum Class Genus Family. No, now I've got it wrong. I only know the mnemonic device. Kingdom phylum class. Kingdom phylum class genus family. Oh Jesus! Hold on. Uh, now I'm not going to be able to break until I do it. This is like a, this is like a I have to touch the doorknob three times before I leave kind of a thing. Kingdom. Kingdom phylum class genus. No 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 that's I mean there's, I'm, genus is wrong there. Kingdom phylum class order family genus species. That's what it is. I just had the greatest idea for a, a, a high topic or a high, high concept topic. topic. The OCD things you do before you leave your house. Oh, there you go. That's great. Because I have, I have my three things that I have to do every single time, and I can't do it. My friend Heather, actually, when we're going out, she'll be sure to check those three things for me as well, just so I, I'm right. absolutely sure. High concept. That's fantastic. High concept. OCD. We'll do you have on... your OCD things? Totally. You oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Even if I haven't used my stove in, like, two months, I have to check my stove, and I have to make sure I check every knob and make sure that it's off. I do that. I go through the house. I check uh, every door within the house to make sure the door is pulled shut. Here's the other thing. Uh, it, my whole thing also is setting the parking brake for no readily apparent. Like, when do you ever need the parking brake? Never. I drive with my parking brake on constantly. You know what? But the thing is, I'm the only person, like, Lara doesn't use the parking brake. I use it all the time. Yeah, you're the only other person. Tim, do you use the parking brake? I mean, just always? Or no. only in special occasions? No. I always do, even if I'm just reparking my car. I mean, if, like, you're in Seattle or something, or if you're driving a stick shift, or if you're in San Francisco, I mean, you've got to use it, right? But, I mean, I don't. most of the time you don't need it in the strictest sense of the word, but I always set it. 
I'll set it in a station vehicle, I'll set it in our car, I'll set it in the truck, and then, of course, whoever drives after me gets in and they can't figure out why the car won't move and there's big smoke billowing out of it. And it's because they're trying to drive with the parking brake on, which they didn't check because nobody ever uses it except for me, Sarah, and other crazy people. Yeah, my parking brake doesn't even work anymore because I, I set it for everything, so I'll drive to work and back with it on. Yeah. And then I'll, I'll get ready to set it and I'll realize it's already pushed down. Can I tell you this? I have actually done this on more than one occasion where I'll be, like, at the mall or at the store, and I will actually be in the middle of my shopping trip, and I'll have to leave the mall, go out to the parking lot, and check to make sure my safety brake is on. Who does that? Me too. I will leave parties, or I'd love to show once, because I was absolutely 100% positive that I left my back door wide open. And you hadn't. And of course I didn't. Of course, no, yeah. no was, you never had. locked, no. melted, everything, but I knew inside of myself that no. I had left it open. No, never. Like when you go, did I leave the iron on? You didn't leave the iron on. No one leaves the, the the iron has never once been left on. And really, unless you're using an iron, like unless you're using an iron that came from the kitchen of the Waltons, your iron is turned off by the time you remember that you might have left it on. You go home and it's turned itself off. They do that now. So the, the idea that you have to go home and, uh, I think I may have left the waffle iron plugged, it's, it's, it's not true. It's never true. Ugh. All right. I'm sorry, Tim. I I'm sorry that you have that, to be I'm sorry you have to be in the room and be the victim of our crazy all the time. Well, no, it doesn't bother me a bit. It's interesting talk. <laughs> all right then. Uh, should we take a break? Come back with the new news hour? Yes, yes. Fantastic. We'll return momentarily with Tim Riley, the Ministry of Truth. Uh, if you're on hold, hang tight. We got the, your phone calls coming up later on. Jim Roop. Uh, we'll also be talking to Greg Raisman for the Portland Office of Transportation about bikes be cars. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. This is brought to you by Leafs Auto Collision Center. Find us in collision repair. Go to Leafs.com and find out what Leafs can do for you. Our top story comes to us from Parkland, Washington, and it is shocking. A cancer victim becomes puppy food. Unfed puppies are to blame for a gruesome attack on a cancer patient who was critically injured while trapped inside his own home. Uh. 55-year-old Michael Warner was put in an unthinkable situation by his daughter and her friend, an unlicensed caretaker. Warner was attacked after he was up lying on the floor of his Parkland, Washington home with 18 puppies and several adult dogs who had been given no food for days. He was unable to take care or defend himself due to his deteriorating medical condition. According to police, uh, police, we believe some animals were left behind and were not fed, and some puppies got to him. Well, uh, well let's There's back. no nicer way to say it. But, I mean, how is... Uh, all right, so he has cancer. He has incurable cancer. That's correct. He's at home. His what, uh, daughter, daughter is allegedly taking care of him. And an unlicensed caretaker. Uh, and then... He's left alone for several days. So they leave, and then he was somehow injured? I guess so. And was unable to sort of, like, get to the phone or call for help or whatever? So, uh, so He was on the floor, incapacitated for a couple of days. Uh, and then the dogs have no food, mm-hmm. and it all goes bad. What kind of dogs were they, does it say? Yeah, I'm looking here. Because it would seem to me like there are certain dogs that maybe are quicker to turn on you than others, maybe. And we've talked about pit bulls and so forth. But it seems like... 
You know, it seems like it's just, uh, you know, if it's just like a fluff ball, it seems like that's got to be, because I guess my question is, that then leads to how many days he was left alone, because it seems like if it was a much more sort of domesticated mm-hmm. animal, they would have had to have been left alone a lot longer for this to happen. I'm trying to find the type of dog. Did they know that, was he, did they know that he was dead, or that no, alive? He's still alive. Oh, wait, he, is he still alive now? Yes. I'm so confused. So he was so al- he was brought to the hospital in Tacoma, Tacoma General Hospital by his daughter. Uh, when doctors discovered it appears that parts of the man are missing. Oh, okay. No, oh, this is so much worse because, I mean, I'm glad he's still alive. But uh, for a minute, I thought... No, he's not dead. See, I thought that was the deal. I thought they'd gone into the house like, what's that smell? Which is how these stories always start. And they go into the house and they say, oh, he's dead. Oh, and look, the, look, the, the dogs have gotten at him. But he was alive. He's still alive. Oh, oh, that's awful. All right, that's... you. Yeah, that's bad, man. I mean, and how I mean, and how badly were you? Would you be injured that you couldn't just like uh, shut a door behind you or something? Mm-hmm. I wonder what the nature of the injury was. I mean, I guess you got incurable say. cancer. You're probably not mm-hmm. all that strong to begin with. Mm-hmm. All right, has the daughter been arrested for something? Uh, let's see here. I suppose they are going to be charged. Yeah, the, the pair's uh, court appearance has been rescheduled as no charges have been filed against them yet. Uh, possible criminal neglect charges are pending. I would think so. And why would you have 18 dogs in the house anyway? That right. If you've got 18 of any kind of, unless they're fish, if you have 18 of any kind of animal in your home and you don't live on a 50-acre farm, there's something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody has. I would say that the maximum number of one type of animal you can have in your home before you become a crazy person is three. Mm-hmm. You can have, I mean, and that's, and I'm just saying if you live in a house, house, maybe a yard, you can have three dogs. Three dogs, three cats, three whatever. Unless they can, unless they live in a small habit trail or they can breathe underwater for more than ten minutes, if you have more of, than three of any kind of animal, you are in fact a crazy blank person. No, that's that's a so bad I'm, way. So I'm trying to find out what kind of dogs those are. I don't know, but it's funny. I was watching Thirty Rock the other day, and she makes that joke on Thirty Rock about how you know the older she gets as a single woman, she has that fear of like slipping and falling at home alone and being eaten by her animals. Which I think is also referenced in Bridget Jones' diary, by the way. So, and it's not just a fear for girls. I totally have that fear. Something you just, you're there, uh, you know, you trip coming out of the shower. There you are, and the next thing you know, there's your pet raccoon coming in and making a, a meal out of your face. That's just a whole lot of bad, is what that is. All right. So yeah, there there are too many dogs there. I mean, never mind. So uh, charges are pending. Do they know? I hate to ask this. Do they know what sections of him were eaten? I have to know. Does it, do they specify? No. I'm thinking extremities? No. They don't mention it. Let me check out. I'm uh, guessing, you know, that that's like a nosy. Let, let me check out the, the Como website, because they would have it if anybody right. did. Jesus. Uh, let's see here. There's some pictures of the dog, the puppies here. Are they adorable? Well, they're puppies. You really can't tell. I mean, it doesn't seem like puppies could do that much damage. You know what I mean? No, no. but an animal's an animal, and if you're hungry... and you No, there's 18 of them, I suppose, yeah. too. I guess they have, a, they have strength in numbers. Mm-hmm. All right. I mean, come on. If you get to the point of starvation, I mean, humans have eaten humans. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the I guess... dogs are all of different ages and breeds. Oh, that's so clearly there was just that. I wonder if that was a whole lot of like we found it on the road. Let's just bring it home, kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Well, there you go. So that's a that's an unpleasant story. Welcome to the news hour and the lunch hour. So, uh, well, that's it for that part. For Jesus. Well, let's talk about uh, a picnic was ruined in Kelso. After the picnicker finds cremated remains on the picnic table. <laughs> Longview police are trying to find the owner of some ashes that were left on the picnic table. 
Uh, Officer Time Mock says a Kelso woman told him she found an urn containing the ashes of someone at Lake Sacagawea. The urn doesn't have a name on it. Under police policy, if the urn is not claimed within 60 days, it'll be turned over to the countless county corners. I found this herbal tea. You know, it'll end I... up being auctioned off. Here's a really unpleasant With phrase, bicycles. by the way. You know, if you watch Six Feet Under, and I've been told by people who work in the funeral industry, this is actually a term, because if you if they cremate somebody, they this is the worst, this is the most disgusting word. You know what they refer to it as afterward when they cremate you? No. Cremains. Cremains sounds like a brand name for some sort of a creamy vegetable product. You know what I mean? You know, try, you know what you Try. They will let all the prices right. How much is this cremains? Try, try, try our mushroom souffle, only from cremains. So it just, uh, yeah, it's just the word that it strikes me is fairly, uh, fairly icky. Richie wants me to know, uh, that he has five kittens that need homes. Single ladies preferred. All right. Here's Tim Riley. Oh, we have to ask Richie the story about what he did to upset Dolly Parton. I'm sorry? At her, at her concert. Oh, yeah. oh God, what? Richie kind of ruined she the moment at the Dolly Parton concert. Do I even want to know this? It's going to make me angry. It's, it's funny. Here's it. Is it funny like oh. ha or funny like Mr. Hand becomes Mr. Fist? Uh, no, it's, it's funny for Richie. All right, funny. It, it, it's something you might expect Richie to do given the circumstances that he was put in. Because here's the thing. It was like it was the tax fact. Was it, was it predictable? Just it made me mad. Well, here's the thing. Because Dolly Parton, what was it, last Wednesday? Thursday, something like that. It was last uh, last week, uh, and I, you know, and it, I didn't have tickets to Dolly Parton, and I, and I wasn't able to buy any. And so, but Richie came in. I don't even know how Richie got them. He just sort of came into the studio last week. He's like, "Hey, uh, so I'm going to see Dolly Parton tonight." I think Dave Zinn had them. Maybe. And so I think, yeah, he got them from Dave Zinn or whatever. And again, my fault. I hadn't really spoken. You know, as they always say in radio, uh, if you don't ask for it, you're not going to get it. And I had not spoken up about Dolly Parton tickets, and that's fine. I was sort of zen with not going. But it's that thing of like, you're zen with not going because nobody else you know is going either. And so then Richie comes skipping into the studio, saying, like, hey, I'm going to see Dolly Parton tonight, la 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 And then he's... Dave Zinn had an extra ticket, and he decided to ask me if I wanted to go. And then he sort of floats back down the hallway about it. And so I was already sort of embittered, but then I managed to put it out of my mind. So, wait, do I... Should I guess at the story, or should I just have him tell the story later? Tell him tell it later. It's amusing. All right, so let's make a note to ourselves that we'll have Richie Bristol. Do you know the story, Sarah? Yes. Did you deliberately not tell me because it would irritate me? Well, we just found out today because we never asked about the Dolly Parton concert. I suppose that's true. Right. Well, I was already kind of bummed because Dave Zinn had an extra ticket. And he, and he didn't Richie, ask you. Not me. He asked a Richie. Huge Dolly Parton fan. Mm. So Richie couldn't really care less. And right. then Richie did something there. Richie only just... only looks looks at it as an opportunity to ruin something precious. And he was sitting right next to her. Oh, God. Are you kidding row, me? Eighth row. Where was it at? I think it's a rose garden. Oh, I'm going to be bitter. I'm going to sulk. I am bitter. That's it. I'm not angry. I'm just bitter. That's it. I'm that just going to be, it. I'm going to spend the next nine and a half minutes being resentful. Here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. So let's talk about the uh, the field baby again, shall we? A woman who police said left that baby in the grass field has lost custody of the child. The judge gave the state temporary custody of the baby after the mother didn't show up for a hearing. A man walking his dog discovered the child when the dog started barking. The mother gave birth to the baby in the field near Northwest 102nd Avenue in Pacific. While the DHS said the police hadn't released the mother's name, friends have identified the mother as Cherie Grimm. All right, hold on. I'm going to update the book. One second here. Because I think in the book... I'm looking for a MySpace page. Uh, She's only field baby woman. Okay, uh, field baby woman. All right. What... How do you spell her name? Grim, as in grim reality. Uh, one M or two. Two, two M. All right, what two is her M. first name? Cherie. Would you please, please dispel? C-H-E-R-I-E. 
All right, there we go. All right, uh, Cherie Grimm, uh, also known as the Field Baby Woman, you are in the book in a revised sense and will be dealt with appropriately at the appropriate time. All right. So um, this is uh, no Grimm's fairy tale, mind you. Uh, her mother, Cheryl, showed up at the hearing and asked the public not to condemn her daughter. I'm sorry, no. Too late. We're going to decline your request, but thanks so much. She is a mother who brought her baby in the world. People make mistakes. Not one person uh, not one person hasn't. So what makes them any better than she is? That's off with a garden hose. Yeah, and then gone to hose my genitals off with a garden hose over at some guy's house. Jesus. So I think I'm going to try to place the baby with a relative. Uh, a woman who didn't want to be identified says she was uh, friends with Miss Grimm for many years. They attended Sam Barlow High School in Gresham together. And her later roommate. <laughs> of course, of course. That uh, makes absolute sense, doesn't it? Uh, apparently, the woman says she kept ties with Grimm because of her behavior. That could be associated with drug use. So, uh, the Grimm woman hasn't been re- arrested. So. All right. Uh, let's just uh, see if this is... Uh, I don't know if this is Dave's in or not. Dave's in maybe gone for lunch. Apparently, he knows the uh, Dolly Parton story. Hello? Hello, Dave's in. How are you? I'm well. How are you doing? Hey, do you have a moment to talk? Of course. Hey, so let me ask you this. Uh, how uh, awkward and or irritating is the Richie Bristol Dolly Parton story on a scale of 1 to 10? It's slightly humorous. I think. And I would give it a 7.5. All right. So what night was the concert? Last Thursday. All right. So last Thursday, you go to see Dolly Parton. Uh, and you, so it's you and Richie Bristol. So you had a spare ticket, and of all the people in the building, of all, of all the buildings in all the world, you decided that Richie Bristol was the guy who should accompany you to Dolly Parton. What led you to that conclusion, Dave Zinn? Well, I'm trying to find out if Richie likes music, and I thought he'd like to see an American icon. Mm-hmm. He's entitled to choose his own friends. So no, no I'm, I'm, not, I'm not condemning the choice. I'm simply curious as to how the I'm choice how was made. I'm simply wondering if there were maybe other people in the running that you decided against. Uh, no, not really. <laughs> I just uh... Okay, thanks. It, it, was a, it was a random choice. So, I, so you never even considered me? Dark well, Sarah. you know what, Rick? Um, I didn't know if you'd go. Uh, you like to stay at home and watch movies and TV and stuff. Well, that's and, a fair and he's point. Correct. Well, that's it makes true. it even more awkward about the fact that you didn't bring me because you know I like to go to shows. That's right, Dave Zinn. All right, so you, so you and Richie Bristol are going to see Dolly Parton at the Rose at the Rose Garden. So, uh, so this is you got great seats, by like eighth row, something like that. Uh, I did, right. and uh, somebody really nice at our sister station. Uh, Hooked it up for me. All right. So now, take me into the evening. At what point of the evening did the awkward moment happen? Well, we um, it happened in the middle of the show. Uh, okay. Dolly announced, you know, this is a sad song, and she sang a song called Little Sparrow. Right. And uh, it, it was, like, so quiet, like you could hear a pen drop. And oh, God. <clears throat> Richie had bought some popcorn, and... You know, in the middle of the song, it kind of breaks down. There's no instrument. She's almost a cappella. Right. And I just hear this munching next to me. And, in fact, I think everyone within a few rows of us could hear just a, a loud munching so, over Dolly's a cappella vocals. So Dolly is – where was this at? This is at the Rose Garden, Theater of the Clouds. It seems like it's got to be pretty loud popcorn crunching if people in the Rose Garden can hear it over Dolly Parton's voice. We were about 30 feet away from where Dolly was standing on stage. And so, and, there's, and so as you said, it was almost an a cappella breakdown where it's just her voice, there's no instrumentation, and then you hear this <laughs> of the popcorn. Yes. Did people turn to look? 
maybe a couple. Did they, so they turned to the stair? Uh, maybe. I was just trying to focus my attention on Dolly. Please tell me that Dolly herself noticed the popcorn sound. I was hoping she would, but uh, I don't think she did. All right. Well, that's not as horrifying as I thought it was going to be. I mean, really, in the grand scheme of things, if you're telling me that Dolly Parton and Richie Bristol are in the same general area, and then you bring up what could he have done that's embarrassing, that's like not even in the top 50. So I have to say, it's in a weird way, I'm glad that that was an anticlimactic story, because in my head, I was creating all sorts of... No, like... when I had heard it earlier, I thought, Dave, that you alluded to the fact that you thought that Dolly did look in Richie's direction. It seemed probably. Not. I, I embellished a little bit, but uh, it was one of those moments where Richie realized he was munching so loud, and I could not hold my laughter in. And it's like almost like you're in church, and you oh, have to I be see. very quiet so then, and so, polite. So then there's like the thing happening, and then there's your laughing reaction to the thing, which then becomes even worse. And Richie's laughing also, so we're both trying to hold in our laughter during the sad song. And meanwhile, you're surrounded by people, all of whom are as quiet as church mice, because Dolly Parton is singing a heartbreaking song of loss a cappella. And Richie's eating popcorn, and we're trying not to laugh. <laughs> Who takes that moment to decide to eat a really loud snack food? Who does that? I'm not sure. All right. A man that wears sunglasses uh, as a phone. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Dave Zinn. Goodbye, sir. Right, there you go. That's uh, Dave Zinn. All right. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Hello. Hey, Rick. How you doing, buddy? What's up? I'm uh, sorry to uh, break up the, the fun of Richie's uh, strange man. Yeah. Um, just going down MLK a couple minutes ago, and I was passed by a boat. And I mean, like a driving boat, like a GI Joe driving boat. Like a with, boat, like a boat with wheels. Yeah. All right. And it's huge, and it has a 30 caliber machine gun on the top of it. Is this legal? Wait, you were. Uh, let's back up. When, when, and wh where were you on MLK? When? Um, like six minutes ago. Like MLK and what? Uh, give or take Alberta, between Alberta and Fremont. Just cruising down MLK. Was it like a tank boat? Yeah, was it, did it, it look to like, be... It looked like it was hitting the shores of Normandy a minute from now. But I, I guess my question is, did it look like it was probably a military vehicle of some kind? Oh, yeah. 100%. So I wonder if there is there some sort of a military display or something happening, that... or maybe they transporting stuff? Was it, were there other military vehicles in the immediate proximity? Nothing to the fore or aft of it. It just, just kind of by itself. It was just a complete non sequitur. I, I, I don't really know. I mean, I imagine that if it belongs to the government, the government can kind of drive whatever they want, whenever they want. Uh, um, but it wasn't an army guy in it. was like some guy that looked like he was <laughs> heading to a, to a yacht club. I mean, some just some dude. Air blowing in them Are you sure? Here's a dumb question. Are you sure uh, it was a gun on top? Uh, yes. Um, I'm former military. Absolutely 100%. Could it have been some sort of an, an elaborate harpooning device? It was a 30 caliber machine gun. I know it. I've shot one. It's... I'm just I'm, I'm back on the whole thing of it was a boat with wheels. I didn't even really know those existed in actual I life. Dude, it, it looked like something from GI Joe. Swear to God, it's random. All right. Well, now I just don't even that. Now I don't even know. All right. Well, somebody will have to call up and clarify if they know. I mean, it could be one of those. You know, Portland. Well, they have those like duck tours. I think they have them in Seattle where there's where it's a car that looks like a boat right. and they can go in the water. Well, and Portland is full of those uh, those vehicles that people, you know, they spend a lot of time creating some weird car that they didn't drive around Portland. Like everybody's or down seen, Mount Tabor. Or Mount Tabor. Well, like everybody's seen that car that it's all just the things a, glued to it. Yeah, there's a car that's got all the things glued to it and it's got the huge Jesus on top. Oh, yeah. And there's the car in the dump. There's that car that you see around Portland sometimes that's just covered in silver duct tape. I mean, it's a whole car that is just duct tape. Uh, or the clown car that has like the little like villages built on it. There's that, and there's maybe this is the one I'm thinking that looks like a chia car. It's got like dirt and like like plants growing all over it. There's that, and the, so maybe the guy this... with the fountain car. I've seen him. Yeah, so maybe maybe this is that. Who knows? Yeah. All hey, right. one last thing. Yes. Uh, the Grimm story can also be called the field good story of the week. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Well done, sir. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hi, Rick. Hey. There's an amphibious vehicle called a duck. 
All right, so that was uh, Sarah's referring to. Now, but you can't just drive it around with a gun on it, can you? Well, it's not a workable gun, obviously, and it's probably somebody's uh, antique that they they you know they've restored it. And I've seen them before, and there's actually a couple. All right. So it's perfectly legal as long as it's got wheels and the license plate. And uh, the 30 caliber gun is just for show, not go. And they you know they haven't used 30 calibers forever. All right. Well, thank thank you, my friend. You're welcome. Right, there you go. All right, here. it's good enough to keep order on the Columbia River, I suppose. I mean, and I guess it might really do the job. You know, here's the thing. Even if it's just a fake gun, like if it's just a prop gun, can't really do anything, it might do the job of sort of keeping people from bothering you. Sort of like every now and again you'll see one of those, uh, what is it, like a Crown Victoria or whatever, whatever it is, those, uh, the cop cars. And it's like the cop cars, all, and they all have that one light outside the driver's side window, that spotlight that's mounted right near the driver's side mirror. And so occasionally... They will sell those used-up cop cars at auction, like my father's place owns one, uh, where it is, it's like the Crown Vic, and it's still black and white. It just says MFP on the side, and it's got the big light. But you look in the rearview mirror, and you see the silhouette of that light on the side of the car, and you think it might be a cop, and so you drive real carefully. And then later, you're kind of relieved slash angry when you realize it's not a cop, and you've just been driving all skittishly because it's just some guy. Uh, so maybe this is the thing with that. Maybe it's just sort of, maybe just the silhouette of, of the gun is enough to keep order in your immediate vicinity when you're out boating. Maybe he's taking it to Gresham. It's entirely possible. Here's Just Tim... for fishing. Recreational use only. Here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. That private plane was only in the air a minute when it uh, flew into that house. Could you believe that? It killed uh, five people on the coast. Uh, visibility near Astoria was two and a half miles with mist and clouds at 300 feet and requiring anyone flying in it to be instrument rated. And I guess they were, but that plane was only up for a minute mm. before it crashed. So there's no warning and there's nothing anybody could do. Lynn County deputies arrested two people for vandalizing a middle school and causing $20,000 worth of damage. Fire personnel arrived at Mill City Middle School and found a burning tire was thrown through a window. Deputies determined the window was broken before the burning tire was thrown in. The fire caused extensive smoke damage and also ruined a television. Fire personnel saw two suspects in the area when they arrived. They alerted deputies. The canines came out and tracked them down. A 17-year-old and a 22-year-old have been arrested for that. Well, we'll find out how much time the Trey Arrow is going to do today, because this is the day for his sentencing. He is an eco-saboteur, or an eco-saboteur, depending on how you want to put it. Uh, in early June, Arrow, who was once one of the FBI's most wanted fugitives, accepted the plea bargain for two counts of arson. He's accused of helping torch logging trucks in Estacade in 2001. His legal name is Michael James Scarpiti. Uh, federal agents say the environmental activists destroyed several concrete mixing trucks in Portland. Just a trouble. Well, here's the thing about Trey Arrow. A, you know, he's obviously just an ass. And uh, also, uh, you know, he's the... Uh, I mean, it's almost pointless to even discuss it now because they're going to throw him in the clink probably for some mm -hmm. amount of time. But, I mean, he's an environmental activist, and he's the guy that was, you know, pooping in a box uh, some years back. But he's also the guy who, I believe, while trying to defend the environment, was in fact just setting fire to big lotfuls of SUVs, mm -hmm. which, I, I mean, unless there's something about fire that they've changed recently since I took chemistry class, I think just that results in huge plumes of acrid, toxic smoke going into the air, but I could be wrong. Also... No, I believe you're... you're... Correct. And and in addition to being some sort of nutcake, uh, nutcase eco-terrorist, is he not also then a man without the courage of his convictions? Because did he just cop to it finally? I yeah. think he just pled out at last. So like, so he goes and he commits the crime, you know, for the cause and for Mother Earth and for nature and to oppress, you know, to 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 impress like idiot hippie girls or whatnot. And then he doesn't even stick with it. Mm -hmm. Like as soon as the man leans on him, he just squeals like a pig in hot oil. 
So he would appear, uh, from my vantage point, this is just my opinion, he would appear to not only be a miscreant, but to be a pretty gutless one at that. So, uh, right. yeah, so there you go. So uh, have fun becoming the man of the slam, friend. Here's Tim Riley. A former Rose Festival princess was in Lane County Circuit Court to face felony theft charges. 19-year-old Mercedes Whitecap was assigned a public offender and did not enter a plea. She was arrested along with two 16-year-olds. Police said the trio stole jewelry, clothing, and perfume from several Eugene stores. A police spokesman says investigators recovered thousands of dollars worth of stolen goods after finding a white cap and two miners trying to sell some of the goods at a nearby second-hand store. Apparently, somebody's running around trying to impersonate a nurse at an old folks' home. This is in Beaverton, of all places. A police are trying to find this lady who posed as a nursing home worker in Beaverton, the suspect was caught on camera at Maryville Nursing Home. Staff there became suspicious of her actions as she was frequently talking to one of the residents. The suspect sometimes dressed in scrubs in order to look more official. Oh, that's creepy. Why can't they do that at any hospital and get away with it? Can't you go out and buy a nurse's uniform? Not or do that, they look specifically different? Not that we would advocate that kind of thing. Uh, that's a good question, though, because, I mean, it... Well, Where do nurses buy... Their uniform or doctor. You can buy them anywhere. You don't. Uh, I mean, they have mail order. You know, here's the weird thing about that. It, it there used to be, um, and I don't know when they made this change. Maybe it was they were trying to make hospitals less freaky and more personable or something. Mm-hmm. But you remember, we, like probably even Sarah remembers this. Like doctors and nurses. Doctors probably still do. But nurses, it was like the white outfit, right? Right. It was like the white pants or the white skirt. Uh, and the white shoes. The white shoes, the white jacket, and then that whatever that thing was called on the top of your head. That's a thing that everybody knows, but nobody knows the name for it. What is that thing on the top of nurses' heads they used to wear? Oh, the little hat? Do you know? But it's not a hat, though. It's a thing that's, like, pinned in, right? Mm-hmm. That's a weird thing. That goes on the list of things that everybody recognizes and knows, but that there is, that, that like, no one knows the name for. Like the shiny thing on the doctor's head, the shiny circle. Seriously. They don't what, wear that anymore. Don't they? And what is that even for? I guess to look in somebody's mouth. Or eyes. They will blind you. No, but it's not a light. It's just a shiny it's like thing. A miner's hat. It's like it's like a little. It's just like a round piece of metal. Like, what is the point of that thing? What does it do? I don't know. We'd have to ask a doctor. And they don't wear it anymore. Was it ever necessary, or was it always just some sort of like weird? Only in the movies. Was it like a medical flare thing where they just wanted to look fancy? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I need the, a shiny thing in my head and the machine that goes bing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just ring it in. So yeah. So the, that's a good question. I guess I could call my dad. Well, somebody will probably know, or you could call your dad. Uh, the uh, but so there's two things. So the doctors had the weird, and it was like a headband, right? Mm-hmm. It was like a headband, and then this thing in the middle that was like, it was like the top from a tin can or something, but it was all shiny. It was kind of indented, like where there's a silver part in the middle. Then it was a circle. And it was indented in the middle. And somebody will say, well, that's so they can, the light to look at you. But they get the flashlights. Even then they must have had flashlights. Or certainly just lights. They must have had a light that, like on a gooseneck lamp or something they could have brought down. Mm-hmm. That thing serves no purpose. It's just there uh, to indicate to you when you watch television that Ben Casey is a doctor. So there's that. No one knows the name for that. There's the weird starchy thing that nurses pin into their hair. Everybody knows what it is. In fact, they still use it on graphics at hospitals. Like if... Uh, you know, like picture menu things, like if you just, like you can't read, like you're mute or something. Mm-hmm. And you got to be like, where's the nurse? And, and you point at the thing, and it's like a silhouette of a woman with the finger. Nobody knows what that's called. Uh, but nurses just used to be head to toe, white shoes, whatever. Uh, and so, but sometime in the last, like, maybe 15 years, I think they wanted to put a more human face on. It. I think they must have figured out at some point that just a whole room full of people in starched up white garb is kind of freaky. Little unnerving, which it sort of is, right? Yeah. It's like you're going. It, it's almost like you're going to some weird baptismal rite. And so, 
You see nurses now, and I've seen, the, the, like, Lara, um, there's, like, a mail-order catalog for nurses where you can just order, like, whatever. Uh, but um, but all the scrubs now are, like, they're all, like, these weird colors, and, they, you know, and it's, like, they have lots of designs. Like, what's this? Well, it's, uh, you know, it's like nurse, it's like nurses scrubs with wizard hat design or, you know, whatever, Winnie the Pooh design or something. So I think now more than ever it's probably easier you're saying this journalistically, you shouldn't do this, but to impersonate a nurse because there is no one nurse's uniform at this point. I mean, really, it's just you and a name tag, and from what I've seen, a name tag that is pretty easily duplicable. Uh, so that would be my assessment. It, would, it seems like this is one of those crimes that ought to occur more frequently. I mean, just all things being equal. I don't really know the answer to that, Tim. Somebody will tell us. Uh, let's see here. Who knows what these people could be calling about? Let's find out. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, Rick. I don't know the name of the little shiny thing, but uh, the, what it was used for was before handheld uh, flashlights with small batteries. You would uh, It would collect the light from uh, from overhead, concentrate it into a one spot so you could actually look into dark places like mouths it instead would, of the little handheld flashlight. It would collect the light and concentrate it. Yeah, it was, it, was, it, was, it was concave, so basically, yeah, it basically takes the light and uh, sends it down into a smaller beam, concentrated beam. And then it so shines can... it back. So it is in some way, so it is like, it is like a very sort of focused mirror type device. Basically, yeah. It's because this, I mean, you think about this, you see it in the old movies, you know, this is before they had, you know, like little A cell, bat, double A cell batteries for little flashlights. Now the doctor just grabs the flashlight to look in your mouth, but they didn't have flashlights then. So All right. That still Fair enough. Or so maybe like, or if you're at all, if it's like one of like you're one of those frontier doctors and you're just trying to take out a guy's appendix by candlelight or something. Yeah, while he's biting down on the. Uh, while you're crowd. biting down on a rag, while you're while you're chewing on a bullet. All right. Give him a slug of whiskey. <laughs> Thank you, sir. All right, bye. All right, there you go. Uh, all right. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hey, Rick. Uh, you were talking about the pictograph for the nurse. Yeah. Uh, for mutes, actually, mutes can read. Yeah, I think I. Should. I had a friend that was deaf, or he's still deaf, um, and he was telling me. I asked him what the stupidest question people ask him. He said, "If, if uh, people ask him if he can read Braille." No, I think I was. I was when I was all coming out of my mouth. I think I conflated about nine different uh, infirmities, sort of all at once. Maybe. Yeah, I. Uh, yeah, yeah right, I didn't. I'm uh, go this time, Rick. That, I'm watching you. Thanks so much. Through a small hole I've drilled in your shower. Uh, yeah, that was a whole rush of words that all kind of came out of my head at once. And it's one of those things where, as I was saying, so a mute guy who can't read, and then I, as I was saying it, I realized it was wrong. But as we often do in the show, you just keep it going in like a fire hose of verbiage, and you hope that nobody oh, knows. Nobody caught it. That's the thing, man. And you figure that it most well, guys, maybe it's right, maybe it's wrong. Yeah, but... you know what? But it's like an assembly line, right, Tim? Right. You just say, you just keep whatever happens. You just keep the words going. Doesn't matter. You just don't ever stop. There has to be a certain percentage within four hours. It's going to be wrong, and it has to be accepted. I would say about eight and a half percent of everything we say is flat out incorrect. Uh, well, that's acceptable. Uh, I would say certainly we need to look. If we had that, if we had that, we'd be baseball all stars, Tim. If we could bat like that. All right, here's Tim Ryan. We'll do one more, and then we'll take a break here. Well, let's see here. Uh, we'll save that for later. I'll talk about this. All right. A groom is arrested for getting too close to the bride at a wedding. A New York State man has been arrested for getting too close to the bride on their wedding day. Timothy Cole quarreled at, with a wedding guest at a party. After the wedding, his ex-wife... Wait, let me try this again. <laughs> Timothy Cole <laughs> quarreled with a wedding guest at a party Friday. After wedding his ex-wife in Batavia, New York. This is badly written. It really Who, is. What is the news source for this? Uh, Fox News. Mm. Mm -hmm. 
Officials knew the 45-year-old Cole had previous arrests and realized his bride had an order of protection against him. He's charged with first-degree criminal contempt of felony and ordered jail without bail. He was convicted of criminal contempt on July 1st. The Genesee County Public Defender's Office said Cole hasn't been assigned an attorney. Thank you, Fox News, for that. Thanks so much. You just wasted 30 seconds of our lives. Did you see this thing about a guy with a pestle in his anus? No. We'll take no. a break. We'll talk about it later. I know uh, I, I had like, uh, I mean, there there are like two dozen penis and anal stories today that I got in my email. I can't possibly go through all of them. You need to have a whole folder for that. All right. It's 503-733. We are, this show is anal expulsive is what it is. It's 503-733-2970. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. Why, hello. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. It's 503-733-2970. All right, so here we go. So we've got, uh, I got an answer for this. About the the military uh, vehicle thing. Uh, where did it go? I just had it. Uh, so this email says, hey, Rick, there'll be a lot of military vehicles. Somebody just sent me a photograph of another one, like mm-hmm. some weird, like one of those things they have in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, where they got all the military guys in the back and it's going to Devil's Tower. Uh... The Oregon, this is from Amanda, uh, the Oregon Military Vehicle Club taking them down to the convention center today for the big military vehicle preservation association convention. Now, this uh, is at the expo center. Yes. We don't want to confuse people. I think it's at, at, at the uh, convention center. No. It's at the expo center, which is further up the road. Yes. Uh, so you may see any number of, uh, any number of military vehicles uh, on the road today. 350 Not... vendors. Yeah. I, well, that's a huge thing. I mean, this is from, this is from Amanda. Uh, who, long time ago, Amanda is uh, the girl whose dad, Steve, won that, uh, when we used to have uh, Fairly Honest Don's Machine Gun Parlor as an advertiser, way back before 9-11, when you could do those sorts of things. Can you imagine what CBS Legal would do with that contest? Because we gave away a trip to go fire submachine guns up in the Tillamook Burn. I'm not even sure it was legal then, frankly. Uh, but everybody said, hell, here you go, he's a station vehicle. Uh, so we went, so uh, me and Paul Halama and Fairly Honest Don and Amanda and her dad Steve all went up in the Tillamook Burn in Don's huge, like, Hummer and just sat there. And at one point we're firing a belt-fed M60 into a swamp, like, that was mounted on the back of a Jeep. That was all kinds of great. Um, and that's where there's that photograph of me and, like, firing that Glock 9 uh, and then the fully automatic Uzi. I'm almost certain that was illegal, if thrilling. Uh, so th- that's the girl who did that, but her dad is part of this, and I know Eric from 800 Octane, he does the thing too, where these guys like get and refurbish oh, Dave, Dave from 800 Octane, yeah. they refurbish all these military vehicles, it's a, it's a big deal, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it is, it's like model trains, but with huge cannons on the back. They have a website, mvpa.org. So, uh, so don't be alarmed, citizens, martial law has not been declared, like as of now, anyway. So anyway, at some point, it should in certain parts of the city, but not today. Yeah. There's a uh, real war going on in Georgia. At least 150,000 Georgian protesters cheered as the president of Georgia was outside the country's parliament today. Speakers denounced Russia and its prime minister, Putin. The uh, president of Georgia says Russia will never break his country apart. Here he is. Nothing is lost. We will never, ever allow that Georgia is broken up into pieces. Uh, he appealed to the international community for help in stopping Russia from attacking Georgia. When we came under attack, I informed the situation is precarious. I called Secretary General of NATO. We called U.S. officials. We called the Russians. And we called a number of other nations saying that, you know, we are in trouble. They are shooting at us and people are dying. Now, I can't tell any of these accents apart. I don't even know who we're listening to right now. 
That is a Georgian accent. All right. Uh, Condoleezza Rice says the U.S. stands behind Georgia, but a thousand miles away. I want to make very clear that the United <laughs> States stands for the territorial integrity of uh -huh. Georgia, for the sovereignty of Georgia, that we support its democratically elected government and its people. Okay, this is what I don't understand. I haven't heard from her in a long time. No, I, uh, this is what I don't get about things like this. And I'm not asking this question. It's not even really a question. It's just sort of a statement. I mean, maybe it is a rhetorical question. Um, I'm not asking this expecting there to be any real answer because I, I just don't think there is one. But I, I don't really understand if it's such a big deal. I'm not saying it's not, but I'm saying if it's such a big deal to the U.S. government. In other words, if the U.S. government is being honest uh, with all of these sort of proclamations of, you know, like warnings or these condemnations of the act, like why we're not over there. You know what I mean? Right. It's too far away. Yeah, but I mean, we're aren't like half the military already over in Europe slash Asia anyway? That, we already... that, that's a huge continent, though. It's much bigger than it looks. I suppose. I guess it, it, it just seems it seems like we do have a rather um, scattershot policy of where we're going to intervene and where we're not going to intervene. It's going to be kind of hard to help them anyway. They really don't have that much there to help themselves. I have a picture of their hospital on my webpage today. Wow. Go to RileyLive.com. Wow. This is a former communist country. That is our hospital if you get hurt. Jesus, I mean, it's just go to RileyLive.com. It looks like that. It looks like that cave where Hawkeye and Hot Lips had to hide out while they were being shelled when they were going up to the 8063rd. We also have uh, pictures of the Chinese Olympic police ready to. <laughs> are those segways? Yeah, they bought them segways. The cops are sitting there aiming their guns while crouching behind the sticks of a segway. It looks pretty threatening, though. You know, they can actually shoot while being on a segway. That takes some practice. Well, I mean, you don't see Americans doing that. Uh, Can't the Chinese? The American government isn't threatening to have your entire family killed unless you get, unless you, you know, unless you uh, engage in the service of the state. Mm -hmm. um, so, did you see? Speaking, of, well, we might as well just talk about the Olympics a little bit here, if only I to talk about Olympics. how much I don't care. Do you have the thing about the girl? The ellipsic girl? Yeah. Yeah. A uh, seven-year-old Chinese girl was not good looking enough for the Olympic or opening ceremony. So another little girl. With a little pixie smile, lip sync, ode to the motherland, a ceremony official said is the latest example of the length that Beijing took for a perfect start to the Olympic Games. Not only that, the Chinese are faking all kinds of things. They even faked their fireworks show, yes, apparently. Uh, not everything you see was ex as spectacular as presented. Beijing organizers had confirmed that some of the fireworks display featured pre-recorded footage. Uh, apparently, it was provided to uh, television viewers around the world and on giant screens inside the Bird's Nest Stadium, featuring a computer-generated three-dimensional scene. It was confirmed that previously recorded footage was provided to the broadcasters for convenience and theatrical effects. In the old communist tradition, uh, on the day of the ceremonies, there was actually a footprint of fireworks from the south and north to the city. However... Due to poor visibility at night, some previously recorded footage had to be used. So that's the deal. So they had the whole fireworks display, uh, I guess, theoretically ready to go. And then the Beijing skies, as previously discussed, uh, are so freaking smoggy, you couldn't even... Think about how smoggy your sky has to be for you to not be able to see explosions happening in the sky at night. Mm -hmm. I mean, that just defies all logic. I mean, that something could actually be, that, that the, the air could be hazy enough that at night you cannot see a massive set of explosions going off. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so the government, so the, so the government faked their fireworks. Uh, they, uh, they faked this girl singing. They're censoring the Internet access. They've got cops on segways aiming to kill. And Mike O'Mara was talking to, I forget who it was, he was talking to, to an Olympian. I, I don't think it was Mary Lou Retton, but it was, I guess, some sort of prominent uh, female uh, Olympian last night on the Mike O'Mara show. And he really made a very salient point, which is something I hadn't really considered. 
which is the you know I'm not much of a sports guy. I don't. I don't. I'm really. I think like most people, I'm aware of the Olympics. But only because the media keeps telling me I to care about the Olympics, not because I'm actually exactly. watching. Exactly. That's the, the, do you get that sense too? Yeah. I mean, as much as we're not really sports fans on the show anyway, the Olympics seemed it seems to be this thing where everybody, everybody in the media is sort of going along with this party line of the Olympics are a huge hit. Everyone cares about them. Glorious Olympics triumph. And and I think they're sort of trying to make it a story either because they think it ought to be a story, or there's advertising and ratings at stake, or just because they're doing it out of habit. In other words, they've cared about the Olympics every four years from time immemorial, and so now they're just sort of doing it because it's what they do, and they've already devoted... Or here's another possibility. I was thinking about this. Oh, and Will Ferrell and Blades of Glory, a real Olympic championship, is on uh, HBO this month. Really? Yes. So that is must-see. I was also thinking about this. I was thinking... I was asking myself last night, uh, as I was listening to this Olympic woman being talked to by uh, Michael Mira, and I was saying, you know, why, why are the networks all covering... The Olympics, like, why so much coverage when, based on at least our anecdotal evidence, people don't really care that much? Certainly they don't care to the level, they don't care to a level that is uh, equivalent to that of the media hype about it. And I thought, well, why is this? Well, the, the political advertising junket has come and gone. This yeah. is the next big thing for advertising. That's the thing. So it's advertising. Mm -hmm. It is not only advertising for products. Placement. It is advertising for the franchises mm -hmm. themselves. Like has pointed this out. Uh, they, you know, the, 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 the NBA, you know, the dream team, the American basketball dream team goes over there and they crush whoever those, they, the, whatever the, whoever those poor saps were that have to come. It's like being the Washington Generals, right? Mm -hmm. Where the U.S. dream team beat them like 175 to one or something, just some insane score. And like has pointed out, it's because uh, the NBA wants the world to look at the NBA brand and say, hey, that's really impressive, those NBA players. We here in, you know, uh, you know, in Melmac uh, ought to be going online and buying NBA merchandise. So it is to strengthen the NBA brand in this Correct. case around the world. But here's my other thing. So it's not just advertising. It's not just extending the NBA brand. Uh, and it's not just out of habit. I think that news organizations... Uh, specifically print media, but I think electronic media, too, are either experiencing or at risk of experiencing severe cutbacks, staffing cuts, personnel consolidation, you know, uh, where you're expected to do more with less. Newspapers are shutting down. Entire bureau offices are being closed. And so by treating this like a huge story, this is the media telling the corporations that own them, we're still important, you got to keep us around, you can't fire us, if you get rid of us, who would do all this media, this Olympic coverage? Mm -hmm. So this was an attempt, I think, by a lot of the old media uh, to try to demonstrate, uh, perhaps fallaciously, that they are still really, really important uh, to people who want to get their, their information, which isn't true at all. So. And then there was a picture on Drudge this morning of, like, just a stadium where some Olympic event is going on, like yesterday in Beijing, and just like, half the seats are empty. There's yeah. nobody there. Uh, but Omer to choke on that air sitting outside for two hours. I don't know. And I mean, I know I know some people who have gone to the Olympics in the past, and I'm not going to say that. But I think a lot of that is it's a status thing. You know what I mean? Where are you going? We're going to the Olympics. It's like going and sitting in the skybox at the Rolling Stones, and then you spend the entire time checking your BlackBerry and eating you know sushi off the off the off the deli tray. You know, it's guys who just go and they do it uh, just because uh, they want to, because it's a thing they can do. It's a marquee event where they can be seen, and so they can tell people, I'm flying to Beijing for the Olympics, and you know they don't even really care. It seems to me the average sports fan is probably not in Beijing. Uh, seeing the Olympics. That is an event put on for people who can afford it as opposed to people who are probably interested in it. Um, and I had some other point to make. Wait. Oh, uh, but Michael Mara made this observation that is really true. When you see 
the American teams or teams from, you know, like a, a Canadian team or something, and there is this sense of joy and exuberance. Mm-hmm. And then you see these teams from, exa- you know, for example, uh, China, where the teams are just all so grim. They just look so unhappy. Uh, just the teams of athletes just seem so just... I'm not going to say that they look... I'm not going to say they look angry. They just look very uh, sort of... Uh, they look very, I'd say grim is the word that a lot of the athletes from other countries have on their face, where you see the team, like the whatever team from China, and they just have that look where they're like looking at the ground, trying not to make eye contact, and just being very focused and sort of sullen. Uh, and it does sort of indicate to you probably the governmental pressure uh, that is brought to bear uh, one way or the other. I mean, you always hear those stories about under Khrushchev. You know, about Olympic athletes, so it's like it was known, like you had to bring home the, uh, you had to bring home the bacon or there was going to be consequences. All right, here's Tim Riley. I am surprised that the Chinese have, have not put in cardboard audience members to fill up these seats. <laughs> That's the picture I was looking at. What is this? Some stadium. Let's see. This is uh, the Olympic Green Archery. Is this for the archery competition? Yeah. I would say that is no more than one third full. I would say that's an. I would say that's a stadium that is two thirds empty right there. Now you can say to yourself. Well, who gets all that excited about archery? You got a country. I don't know how many people just live in China proper. It's what, a billion, they say, a billion Chinese. Yeah, more than that. But I mean, there's a six billion three hundred thousand. There's six billion people in the world. That stadium probably holds thirty thousand people. Are you telling me out of six billion people, you can't get thirty thousand people who are interested in archery to come sit in those chairs? Uh, so you're right. I, it seems like they ought to just. Uh, they are just be, I mean, using their computer. I mean, look, if they're willing to fake, if they're willing to fake the weather, if they're willing to fake the singing, if they're willing to fake the fireworks, I'm surprised they haven't just blue screened the whole thing and just put fake audience members there, just like a rear projected happy crowd. Mm-hmm. So that'll be the next. That'll be the next time it happens. Well, some of the comments say, "I can't wait until the Olympics come back to a real country." Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the average American. All right. Let's see. Are these calls about the Olympics? They are. People are very interested. All right. Well, let's see. let's see what they have to say. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show about, yes, the Olympics on KCMD Portland. Speak now. Hey, I was wondering if Tim ran across a story about Mark Spitz over the weekend. Um, yes? No? I may have, but I didn't pay any attention. What is it? He was uh, saying that he was quite upset that he was not invited as a uh, as a person of uh, historical relevance to the Olympics, being as there's somebody there who very likely will break his record. Mark, Mark Spitz is a swimming guy, right? Yeah. Mark Spitz, Rick, I'm surprised even you. I mean, he won like 15 know. gold medals or something. He's a good seven, dude. seven gold medals, and uh, yeah, it was a huge, you know, historical uh, figure from what 76, 72. I don't Mark, know. Back in the day. Invite Mark Spitz to speak. Book legendary uh, Mark Spitz for your corporate events. Right. Yeah. Well, that's what he does now. Exactly. But uh, no, he, you know, and, and I thought it was relevant that uh, you know, I mean, nobody had ever. Uh, it'd be like having gymnastics finals and kind of snubbing uh, Nadia. You know what I mean? It's just like, I mean, they were somebody who did something nobody had ever done before. And so here you have somebody who very likely will break his record, and they just didn't think it was important enough to give him a call, you know? It says here he's synonymous with excellence, and you can book him. Uh, (laughs) It says fee range, call for a quote. Oh, that's always a good sign. You have to pay his uh, travel expenses from California. Yeah, well, maybe that's what it is. Mark Spitz is like Bob Beeman. He's one of those guys that I only really know because he, you know, he did something that was so exceptional in the world of sports that everybody sort of had to sit up and take note. So, yeah, yeah. Right. And, and also on the uh, the space, uh, what is it, the space station? I always thought it looked like a a bunch of uh, uh, big refrigerators lashed together out in space. No, I could see that. I could see yeah. that too. All right, thank, thank you. you. All right, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hey, Rick. What's up? Just wanted to give you an update. <clears throat> I know Don. You know, fairly honest. 
Yes. And uh, I'm also a, a class three collector. That's uh, your voice that's... number one too. I'm sorry. Yes, go ahead, sir. Voice number one. Could you explain, please, to explain? Uh, I'll I'll double back at the end to do it. Anyway, what is he up to these days? I don't know. I haven't seen him in years. Yeah, me either. We uh, did. He was a longtime advertiser. We love that guy. So I wear. I, I still have the fairly honest uh, Don's Machine Gun Parlor T-shirt that I wear uh, whenever I'm going to be in a place filled with hippies. And uh, he was an advertiser. He sponsored our weapon of the day. We did a couple uh, great uh, machine gun excursions with him. And I know that. After 9/11, I know that it became a lot trickier to sell certain kinds of firearms because the regulations became pretty he was pretty crazy. He was what was considered a uh, kitchen table FFL holder, and I believe his license got pulled after 9/11. Yeah, it became real hard to sell a lot of stuff. Yeah, it's still legal to buy and own uh, Class Three weapons in the state of Oregon. Uh, I personally own. What is a Class Three weapon? That would be a, an automatic weapon. Really? So, like, a, you can still own a fully automatic weapon? Yes, I, I have three. Are you aiming for more? So you'll pardon no, no, the pun. No, 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 no. They're they're far too expensive, not only to shoot but to to purchase. Let me ask you this. Harder just, and harder to find. Let me ask you this, just out of curiosity, and I just I, only because I'm 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 fascinated by people who, um, if you had an infinite amount of money. Is there a number of guns you could own at which you would say to yourself, I don't think I need any more? Um, no. All right, good for you. No, it's it's fun. I enjoy shooting. I enjoy the history of, of weapons, and um, I'm very much a, a peaceful person. I have no desire to hurt anyone. Oh, see, that's why I can't own guns. I have the desire to hurt lots and lots of people. Um, before we I go, I wouldn't trust myself with a firearm. No, no, because I would, because I would, I would end up just killing everybody in my neighborhood. Uh, <laughs> I will tell you this as we wrap it up. Voice number one, sir. Uh, we'll, we'll do this, uh, we'll do this once more today. So voice number one is sort of an older guy, kind of a sort of a, kind of a little bit of a gravelly voice. Now, you're kind of a mix of voice one and two, actually. Voice number one, older. Like a younger, older guy. Mm -hmm. this guy yes. Uh, sort of a, kind of a classic rock kind of a delivery, a little gruff sounding. Voice number two, kind of a young smart aleck kind of delivery. You are a mixture of those two. Voice number three, nerd-like guy who talks about massively multiplayer online role-playing games. All right. That is Nicholas. Thank you, sir. Uh, from Nicholas, we go to whoever's next. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Hey, Rick. I think I figured out the answer to the Olympics and the poor ratings. Yes, sir. Uh, the Olympics are always supposed to be about bringing people together and making the world a better community. And I think that to some extent that has been happened. Uh, the problem is, is nobody really cares about the Olympics unless there are two countries that absolutely hate each other going at it in a Rocky IV kind of hatred. That no, that's a good point actually, because uh, you know, because uh, you know, you have obviously the, you know, the the miracle on ice and so forth, where there was the big uh, you know confrontation between the USSR and the United States, and I know probably even others. That... The bad Russians are coming back, though. Maybe the next one. Well, I was, I was actually just going to say, so maybe the 2012 Olympics, though, sir. Uh, who knows? It, it might be deja vu all over again. Uh, the next, I don't even know where the next Olympics are going to be held, but uh, but you're right about that. They're really, I, we do need, I, don't you think that human drama requires a clearly defined, and it's all relative, but a clearly defined good guy and bad guy, at least from your country's perspective? Well, it's just like people in high school. I know a lot of people that I went to high school talk about, you know, they had their arch nemesis that was, you know, some somebody or other and this, that, and the other. And and I remember clearly there were people that I, I felt diametrically opposed to when I was in high school, and yet now that I'm older, I have no idea why. I think people just need to have some sort of nemesis in order to uh, 
move along in life. We had this great we had this great thing about two weeks ago. Chris Paddock from KUFO found this amazing Craigslist posting from San Francisco. We should have gotten the guy in the air actually. He had gone on Craigslist and he was offering to pay like five hundred dollars a month for a guy who would be his arch enemy. That's fantastic. He's like, that's the whole thing. It's like, I'm just looking for a nemesis. I'll pay you 500 bucks a month. And really, because if you don't have a nemesis, sometimes you cease to exist. Sometimes you can only, sometimes a person is only able to define themselves in terms of anti something other. In other words, you know what I mean? You need to define yourself against an adversarial force. Hmm. So there you go. All right. It's a good My point. adversarial force would have to probably be hippies. All right. Well, see, there you go. And see, if there were no hippies, you might cease to exist. Perhaps you, sir, are a moon only reflecting the hateful light of the hippie community. And I'm okay with that. Yes. Uh, as long as that moon bathes regularly, I'll be okay. Thank you. There you go. There's that guy. Thank you, my I son. never really thought about it like that. No, it's, I mean, everybody needs something to define themselves against, I suppose. You know what I mean? Uh, huh. You know, even us. I mean, it's like we, you know, we just sort no, of... No, no, I, I can picture a couple of people very clearly in my mind. I'm like, well, I guess that, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, that you're not that guy. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? You're looking and you go, well, I'm not him. I'm a, I'm opposed to all he stands for, you know, or whatever. And I think that's just part of... The, I think that is human nature. I think that's how... I think we view things in those terms. Is there's something inherent in our, in our sort of psychological makeup. Also this, before we get there, we'll get one more Olympics call. We'll do some more news. Uh, Jim Roop coming up. Uh, Nina Parker. Greg uh, Raisman from the Portland Office of Transportation, a busy show. I will say this. So that guy was talking about how there needs to be a clearly defined good guy, bad guy for the Olympics to be interesting. It's sort of strange this time around because would you not agree that the bad guy is the host country? That's the thing, right? Yeah. The bad guy is, is, in fact, China. And it also is a little – keep in mind, I don't really boycott stuff or, you know, I don't – because it's just impossible to boycott, especially from China. Because everything – probably 90% of the things in this room alone – in this studio, we're made in China. I mean, China sort of makes everything now. Uh, but it's sort of weird, though, that on the one hand, we're supposed to be boycotting China, and we're supposed to be condemning them for their human rights violations, and, you know, they're evil, and they're oppressive, and they're whatever, and, you know, for this, all the same reasons that you're not allowed to travel to Cuba. And yet we're supposed to be watching this thing that is putting billions of dollars into the Chinese economy and raising their world profile, even though they're, you know, apparently just like routinely clubbing, imprisoning, and driving over dissidents. So it is a little confusing. It it is hard to know. Um, it's hard to know where to stand in today's uh, world. Oh, and now we just found out that several Chinese reporters covering the stabbing death of that uh, volleyball coach's father-in-law had their notebooks and one tape recorder confiscated after a news conference. Government confiscation of notebooks and equipment is a common occurrence in China for a usual uh, journalist and other undesirable activities. But it was supposed to be the first time that this happened at the Olympics. So thanks to the Chinese for that. So they really are, So would you agree that China really is the new USSR? Yes. They are the new Soviet Union. Oh, the report centers on the death of an American tourist without any mention that the tourist was in Beijing and got killed there. Oh, of course. Why would you want to mention that? What? What's, what? How could that possibly be relevant to the story? So fake now, fireworks. Girls that really can't sing. Uh, from now on, I'm going to position my non-watching the Olympics as a political statement. See if I can see if like I can get that to impress some like hippie girl. Maybe they fill up a stadium with lead. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hey, Rick. Um, I actually worked at the 1996 games in Atlanta at the baseball venue, mm-hmm. and um, was a part of the um, Olympic committee, and it was a great experience in Atlanta. Um, but even I, as a, um, somebody that's worked, I also worked for the Salt, Salt Lake organizing committee briefly. I have no interest in watching the games. It just, it, it, because it seems like a thing that maybe if you're there in the stadium, you know, you find it. I mean, cause, it was great. It was a, I can't tell you. Because there's an energy, right? Oh, it's, it's, it, was, it was great and it was exhausting and all kinds. I mean, I fell asleep at closing ceremonies. 
But um, now let me ask you this: Now, when you're there, actually at the Olympics, um, is it? Are you overwhelmed by? The spectacle, it's to the point that it just becomes like one big light show, or do you really, this sounds kind of uh, corny, but I mean, or do you really feel like uh, the sort of uh, the tapestry of different cultures sort of all being in one place? You definitely feel the cultures. In fact, um, you know, some of the newest experiences that I had was just meeting people from different countries. I had, Like I said, I had the great opportunity to be a part of opening and closing ceremonies. I mean, even though I was working, just to meet so many different people and and. You know, it was it was really it sounds hokey. It was a really neat experience. I met people from Iran, that you know, Korea, all over the world, and they were Cuba. I mean, they were great. Um, I just now I just have no interest. I, I it's twelve hours behind. NBC's got a thousand networks covering it. Based on your interaction uh, with some of the, uh, the athletes or participants from around the world, what do you? Uh, I was talking about Michael Mara's assessment that when you see. Uh, for example, American athletes, they're very jubilant, full of joy, a lot of, you know, zest for life. And then when you see a lot of the teams from other countries, they do seem just very sort of sort of grim and just very almost unhappy about the whole thing. Yeah. Very intense. Would you, is that, is that, yes, did you experience you know, that? There were two things that freaked me out. One was I went to the Olympic Village um, prior to the Games with a friend of mine. And um, we were there, and, you know, you could see these really buff and fit athletes, and they were walking around smoking cigarettes. That's fantastic. And it was like, okay, this is a little different. You know, here we're in a country where they're getting rid of that. Sure. Um, the other thing that was really interesting is Cuba, which has a great baseball program. You know, they were the favorite to win the gold that year, and they did. Um, they actually um, stole some of the baseballs and stuff, and were charging people for autographs. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a, it was a little different. Um, I have to tell you, um, you know, we the, the coolest part about working, I mean, we were working 20 hours a day, so we were really tired, but we were at the baseball venue, which was next door to the track and field venue, and every day Sports Illustrated would have a, you know, a, a program, and we would actually take bets on, you know, who was going to be the athlete that was on the cover. Right. And, you know, and, and obviously when you're there, you're in real time. Right now we're 12 hours behind. And it's and you're watching it on a screen, and I mean, and look, I don't mean to diminish any athlete or anybody who pursues the dream or does, you know, as... Hey, somebody once said, you know, if the good Lord gives you a thing you can do, then then do it. But can we all agree that some of the events in the Olympics are just, I'm not going to say they're silly, but I mean, yeah. I mean, how much interest could you possibly have? In, did you know that ballroom dancing is an Olympic event? I, I mean, mean, they're getting rid of baseball and softball. <laughs> Go figure. And yet they're getting rid of baseball. Yeah. So it's just, uh, I would say to call some of these things niche events is uh, is even even itself is, is a little bit of an over an overstatement. Tank crushing. Yeah. <laughs> regarding the weather and stuff, like even Salt Lake tried to do the thing where they send stuff up into the clouds to prevent, you know, bad weather, to, to encourage snow or whatever. That's the part of it that I, that I don't like. Is right. that it's all it's all centered around television. It's like, come on, it's too much. I don't really want to see Matt Lauer covering it from 8 a.m. in the morning all the way to midnight. All right, excellent. Thank you, Melissa. Bye bye. All right, there you go. That is uh, the Melissa. Salt Lake ones were hilarious because you had Japanese TV running all over the state looking for polygamists. Really? Instead of covering events. Yeah, that's all people came for. When was that? Was that 96? I think so. I was living there. Well, I don't remember any of that. Maybe because I wasn't watching. <laughs> I mean, I think I lived there because it was in Park City, wasn't it? Yeah. Must have been in Park. I mean, it couldn't have been in Salt Lake proper. It must have been up in Park City. So um, I remember being there. Well, now, but see, now I'm now I'm confused uh, in my head. I can't because I remember being in Salt Lake and working there, and when they made the announcement for the Olympics. But I thought that Salt Lake didn't get picked. Am I remembering this incorrectly? It's I have this. Oh, vivid... they had Olympics in in Utah. 
I have this vivid I have this vivid memory of being down by uh, the courthouse, I think, which is where they were going to have, because they had the, the closed circuit thing from the Olympic Committee in Switzerland or whatever, where the guy gets on TV and he opens the envelope and he says, the next Olympics will be held in... And then they read it, and it wasn't Salt Lake, and everybody there was all disappointed. But maybe I'm remembering I that incorrectly. It, Salt Lake. it was in Salt Lake, but then why am I remembering that we got turned down for something? I must be confusing to it. Don't call. To, I don't care. Don't call. It, I'm remembering something, and I'm merging it with something else, but in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter at all. Here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Breaking CBS news. Guess what they're bringing back? Hawaii Five-0. Yes, and that theme song is coming back too. Is there going to be an updated uh, sort of a rock and remix? I would imagine. It's Hawaii Five-0 2.0. Oh, that's a dumb name. That's a terrible name. But uh, that's just the preliminary one. Uh, it'll be filmed in Hawaii. This is the second cop series that CBS is looking to bring back. They're also developing an updated Streets of San Francisco. A Quinn Martin production. Probably not this time. Uh, that'll give CBS, uh, let's see, more distant locales to complement its sets in Las Vegas, Miami, and New York. So that's what they're planning on doing. Well, okay. So Hawaii Five O Two Point Oh. Yeah. You know that some guy, you know, some smug uh, jackass is patting himself on the back for adding that 2.0. Why don't you just put the word cyber in it somewhere? Mm -hmm. uh, that's a great show. The Hawaii 5.0 is still, you go back and you watch those, Jack Lord, mm -hmm. uh, that's still an entertaining program. It really is. Uh, and the uh, streets of San Francisco, not bad either. I mean, they could do worse than to, than to be. I mean, like you got to recycle stuff. At least you, you know, recycling stuff that's good. What was I just thinking the other day that they ought to bring back and remake? Uh, I'm not gonna spend a lot of time trying to root this out on the, the recycle bin of my brain, but I was just thinking about something the other day, and I was saying to myself, they ought to really bring that back and give it like an updated spin, because so rarely does that that sort of thing work. Mm -hmm. mm, yeah, I've forgotten it, but uh, anyway, well. I mean, you know, you got to do what you got to do, I suppose. Here's Tim Riley. So uh, here is a losing situation. This comes to us from Texas. Uh, the American Cancer Society president says Texas is helping to fight cancer by raising tobacco taxes. Like that's going to happen. If we raise that price, we keep kids from starting to smoke. No, you don't. And no, you don't. we no. help encourage adults to quit smoking. No, you don't. And we can use those dollars from the tobacco taxes to help pay for important programs like helping people quit. You no. won't. Not going to happen. Texas. Nice Texas, try. Texas. Another pooch is gone from CBS's Great American Dog. Last episode, owner Brandy and her miniature schnauzer beacon were sent home after being in the doghouse following the latest challenge. Brandy said she doesn't mind that her reality TV show days are over. They can cut and edit good people to look bad and bad people to look good. And that's just the type of technology that I don't want to have anything to do with. <laughs> Wow. I think my dog is great, and she could be on whatever she wants to be. It's a fine it's CBS production is what that is. Yes. It's, a, it's a program right here on the Columbia Broadcasting Systems. I know that I'm making a point that a lot of other people have probably made, but there are now... So it, it almost there's so much reality programming that even commenting on how much reality programming there is itself already seems dead. Like, even before I make the observation, it seems... It seems like my observation is already dated, and I haven't even said it. But there's so much reality programming on now. Somebody was mentioning some reality show the other day, and they're like, hey, you're watching season four of whatever, and it was like some show I didn't, I didn't even know it existed. And it's already like in its fourth. Well, that haircutting show you mentioned. Yeah. Sheer Genius. Genius. Uh, which, is that the first season? Is, it, is, this, is this like the first time it's been on? I'm not sure. It's, it's hard to. That's what I'm saying. How long have these shows been around? They just sort of, because they're so cheap to produce. Um, but, it, it, you know, in the future, 
I mean, you'll probably be, everybody in the country. Everybody who uses Botox will have their own TV show. And every and everybody will probably be only two degrees. Well, we're not even that. We're one degree away from the storm. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, probably everybody will be no more than two degrees apart from somebody uh, who was on a reality television. I'm trying to think. And a girl on Project Runway right now is um, my friend's old roommate. Really? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's just, it, that is just it's it's just such a weird. You gotta and wonder. Next door, the, the girl who works next door on the Playhouse. On, she, she was, was on, on that show. Reality shows. She's on the Bad Girls Club and I don't know some tropical one. The other thing, and so this is, and this all goes back to what's her name, Mary, uh, Mary Ellis Bonham or whatever her name, the girl who played uh, the, the woman who created uh, the Real World. I mean, I think the Real World is the Real World sort of the, is that the starting point? Is that the I sort of so. the I genesis so. of all yeah. of this? Because I can't really... The, the only thing that comes to mind before MTV's The Real World... And then Road Rules was soon after that, wasn't it? And then there was the Real World Road Rules uh, All-Stars and the Challenge and the, the whatever, where they were the like... Gauntlet. Uh, did, did I see something the other day on MTV? Was it, were we talking about this, or was it Susan who pointed this out? That there was like a, like a Real World Awards show the other day? It was like the Real World Awards on MTV, where they were giving... Real it. World Awards. Exactly, but it, was, but, it was, but it was like some sort of weird... It was like VMAs, but just for the Real World. Which is now in like its 500th it glorious like season or whatever, something like that. I, I think no, it was uh, it was for like best fight, you know, and like best you know best uh, steamy romance or something. I thought best fight it was going to be when David, the stand-up comic, dragged that girl out of her bed and down the hallway, and then they booted him out of the house. Oh yeah, no, I thought it would be the one when Stephen took that girl uh, who had the, the it was kicks that. or whatever uh, Lyme disease. She had Lyme disease. Ruth. Was it Ruth? Yeah, in Seattle, in the houseboat. Was it Irene? I sure wasn't Irene. Maybe it was Irene. Oh, yeah, where he takes her teddy bear and throws it into the water and slaps her. I think that was the one that won, actually. Oh, yeah, that was a good one. Why do I even know this? That was a good one? I'm talking about people's lives. What does that even mean? The only thing that predates MTV's The Real World is this British thing on the BBC called 7-Up. Have you ever watched the 7-Up series? Oh, yeah, yeah. 7-Up is amazing. Uh, They picked, uh, I think it's either a family or a couple families, and they check in with them every seven years uh, to see... You know, to see how, so they started when the kids were seven, 14, 21, 28, 35, 40. I think, they, I think it's at 49 up now, mm-hmm. uh, where every seven years they follow like 10 people. Uh, and they don't stay with them all the time, 24 hours a day during that seven years, but it's every seven years you get a long, in-depth update. So it's much more real in that they're not being followed around by the camera during that seven years. Mm-hmm. But it's like every seven years the BBC tracks them down. And, you know, gets a long thing about where are you, what's happened to you, what's going on in your life. So you, there is this whole generation in, in it kind of gives me chills, there's this whole generation in Britain that has grown up with these people on television, checking in with them every seven years to see where they are. It's, uh, that's pretty amazing. Uh, well, right. we'll see how America adapts to Little Britain, the American version, which is coming out on HBO, I believe. Can I confess something? Yeah. I don't know what Little Britain is except for a reference on Arrested Development. Oh, it's, it's this comedy show. Well, you have to watch it. Did it have the puppet? No, it doesn't have one. Okay. What, what puppet? The puppet in Arrested Development that kept, that keeps hitting uh, Michael. Oh, the thing on the... Uh, uh, maybe that was part of it that slides down the string. <laughs> Is it a sitcom? Kind of. Yeah. So they're making a Little Britain sitcom in America. Yeah. All right. I... You know, this is why I don't work in television. Well, I don't... we steal everything from Britain and just copy it from mo- most of the time. I suppose. I don't understand how the television industry works. I really don't. It's The whole thing is just one big ball of confusion. Uh, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show, from Los Angeles, singing on radio correspondent to the stars, James Roop. Hello, sir. Good afternoon, baby. What were you doing, a little grease managers there? I don't know what I was doing. All right. Uh, it was a little unnerving. Uh, hey, I got, before we do anything else, I got a, uh, 
What do you want to do first? Do you want to talk about this Clark Rockefeller thing, or do you want to have a listener question? It's whatever you want to do first. Well, let's talk about this. Uh, I don't understand anything about this story, but maybe I'm not supposed to, because the word mystery is in the headline. Mm -hmm. Rockefeller mystery. The man known as Clark Rockefeller is wanted for questioning in a decades-old missing person case in Los Angeles. So, I guess because it's a mystery, I'm not expected to really know any of the details of the case, so... Well, the mystery surrounded the guy himself. Um, but he was arrested in Boston uh, a few days ago, or a week ago, however long, last week, I think, uh, trying to kidnap his daughter off the streets in Boston. Somehow, the cold case detectives at the L.A. County Sheriff's Department were able to connect that guy who claimed to be Clark Rockefeller. Remember, there was controversy about his name and whether he was a Rockefeller or not. Link him to, and they found a birth certificate. Anyway, he's a German-born guy named uh, Christian Gerhardt's writer. And he also went by the alias of Christopher Chichester in the mid-'80s when he lived in Southern California and rented a guest house from a wealthy couple in San Marino. I think Chichester is a great name. I think the next time I check into a hotel, that's going to be my alias. Chester Chichester. Yeah. Uh, anyway, they went missing in 1985. Uh, he left shortly after that. They were never able to find the missing couple, although they did find a skeletal remains on that property when the new owners were digging for a pool in 1994. The Skeletal remains have not been identified, but they believe them to be the guy who lived there and rented the house to rented the guest house to uh, Gerhardt's writer. His name was uh, Jonathan uh, Sohas, but they haven't, and they ordered a bunch of tests to see if that's actually him or not. Why it's taking this long? I have no idea. I have to tell you that the idea of digging a swimming pool in my backyard and finding a bunch of skeletons—that's like seven thousand, you know, and five on the list of things I want to have happen to me in my life. <laughs> That's just that. I'm I mean, surprised it's even on your list, pal. I mean, really, I just, uh, you know. I mean, if you, have to, if you have to chronicle everything, that'd be 7,000 and whatever. I suppose. I, 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 eh, well, let me ask you this. I wanted to try to get a, a couple other things here. Did you see this thing? The L.A. City Council is going to be asking people to take a fourth trash container now and keep it on the curb uh, that is just for, like, coffee grounds and eggshells? Yeah. How many, so this is, you have three now already. What are the three existing, because we have a sort of similar thing happening well, in Portland. Well, there's a green bin for, you know, trimmings, grass trimmings, mm -hmm. leaves, that kind of thing. There's a recycle bin, and there's your regular trash bin. Now, do when you go to, when you go and you stand in front of the bin, and you got like a, you got, I don't know, you got like a, like a plastic food container in your hand, do you ever just sit there for a while, and you kind of narrow your eyes, and you, and you sort of, and you stare, and you kind of clench your teeth a little bit, and you really take about 15 seconds to try to figure out where the thing goes, <laughs> and then you realize that you're never going to figure it out, because, it's, because it just seems so unbelievably confusing. When in doubt, you throw it in the black bin, which is the regular trash. When in doubt, throw it out. <laughs> that's what well, you that's should the, start. That's the conundrum. Who was it? Who was it that did the, when if it's brown, flush it down? Who did that? Not, I don't know. Wasn't there that thing in Los Angeles during the drought? If it's mellow, let it yellow. If it's brown, flush it down. You know what I'm talking about? Tim? Oh yeah, so yeah, to save water. Yeah, you yeah. remember? You remember that? It was like it was the mayor or something, wasn't it? It was. That was a couple of mayors ago. Yeah, but it was the. Uh, everybody's looking at me here as though I'm crazy. No, no, no I, that's true. That's that was that was something he was trying to. It was get. like it was a city policy. It was the yeah. mayor of Los Angeles. If, if it's mellow, let it yellow. If it's yellow, <laughs> if it's yellow, let it mellow. If it's brown, flush it down. That was like the city's water conservation slogan. No, I remember when they when they did their water conservation measure by putting bricks in toilet tanks.
Oh, yeah, I remember that, too. What is yeah. the point of that? It, uh, it took up space so it, your, your bowl wouldn't fill up with water. Yeah. That was that was a North Hollywood thing. Or as they renamed it, Valley Village. I remember uh, being at an IHOP once in Los Angeles and uh, asking for a second glass of water, and the waitress scowled at me and sort of interrogated me before she'd give it to me. She went over the next table. You're going to drink that water, sir? I'm going to give it to this guy. No, it's like she, well, and it was during the drought, and like they wouldn't, first of all, there was no water just given to me, and of course, you know, I'd be like, hey, can I get a glass of water? And she goes, are you sure? <laughs> like I didn't just ask it to hear hot air escape from my mouth. Yes, I'd like some water. She brings me the water, and I and I got this this dirty look because she brings me. And I was real thirsty. It was a hot day. She brings me the water, and I just and I and I drink a lot of water. I don't drink I don't drink like uh, you know like a lot of like milk or like sodas or anything like that. And I drink a lot of water, and so I put the water down. I, you know, and it's it's like that guy in the Wild West saloon. I drain the water, and I like you know down on the counter. All right, I'll take another. Leave the bottle. And she's like. <laughs> Are you sure? Do you really want more water? And I, and, it, and I didn't really know, know that the drought thing was going on, and I thought that perhaps I was just giving off some kind of stench or something, and she was just taking it out on me by not giving me more liquid. Um, anyway, so you got this. And then uh, we got this listener who says, Rick, um, uh, after 10 years of listening to the show, I wanted to say thanks. Uh, let's see. Uh, I always enjoyed Jim Roop's segments. Maybe have we already asked you this. This guy wants to know what kind of cigars you smoke. Uh, so well, I don't know if we've asked you that already or not, or if I just I filed this. As... I think we've talked about them. I, I, I get Fuentes a lot because uh, they're they're good and they're not that expensive. All right. Okay. So that is you would say that that is uh, your are sort we of having a smoking party coming up. Uh, no, I think he was just a, just a listener who's a Jim Roop enthusiast slash stalker, uh, and he just kind of wanted to know. And I couldn't remember yeah. if it was a thing that I had asked you about or if I just sort of made a mental note uh, to ask you about it. So. Well, we, we, we did we did talk about that, but that was a long time ago. I will tell you this: they're coming up at the end of the year uh, in December. They're going to be passing that, you know, what you guys have the uh, the no smoking in bars thing up here, uh, which just which really sucks, and which to which I'm, I am, and I think probably most people are opposed. But even though I don't smoke, Sarah and I were talking about for the show, and I'm saying we got this uh, this local bar that we kind of hang out at sometimes, and and it, it, the place is just not going to be the same without cigarette smoke. I mean, I'm not a smoker. Uh, but it's my choice to go there, and I don't mean to start a whole speech about it, but it's part of the atmosphere. It's part of the vibe, and plus we're all adults, so get off our back. You know, so, it's what's worse, and I thought California had pretty severe smoking laws, but in Ireland, if you, you can't even smoke in your own house if you have people over. If, you, if the guy is coming over to repair the, the, the blender, you're not allowed to smoke while he's there. Really? In your own home. If you have domestic workers come in, you can't smoke in your own. You can't smoke anywhere. And they just did that overnight. They didn't. And it's, if you can't drink or smoke in Ireland, you can't do anything. I was just going to say, what, what, what else is on the social agenda That's over there? It. You go to the pub and you smoke and you drink. <laughs> you know, uh, and I, I was trying to finagle the trip to Ireland to do that story, but, of course, it was... Was shot down. Very I mean, I, I mean, what are you? I mean, what, what else are you going to do? Just sit around and think hateful thoughts about Britain? I mean, there's only so many things to occupy Watch yourself. The place go green. <laughs> that's uh, that's it. So, but as we get toward the end of the year, I was telling Sarah we ought to do some event uh, where we just try to like everybody's just a big a big smoke out. And you know what? I don't smoke. <laughs> But I'm thinking we should do like some kind of pub crawl or something to all the smokiest bars in Portland. Totally, kind of celebrate them. And, be, and I don't want to smoke cigarettes because, as Sarah pointed out, it would just be me vomiting. Uh, you know, it would just be me like, you know, I say smoking, you know, smoking ought to be legal. And then just hurling. So I don't want to do that. But maybe a cigar. You know what I mean? Or a pipe. You go to the cigar. Maybe it was Joni I was talking about this. But you go with the, you go with the cigar or the pipe, which you don't really have to inhale. Uh, and you sort of look cool. 
And then it's not like, you know, and it's yeah, not quite as accurate. You inhale, Rick, or else you will throw yeah, up. Yeah, because I'll throw up because I just, because well, I'm a... Uh... Even with a cigar, you inhale a little bit. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's almost impossible not to get some of it down into your lungs. But I can do it, you know, for one, for one night. I could probably pull that off for one night. Maybe if I threw up a whole lot before I left the house. If you know you what I mean? puff it. You know, if you puff the cigar, it, the, the smoke goes out. I might just hold it in my hand. Edward G. Robinson. You know, get the cigar and then I just use it to, and I'll just use it to gesture. You know what I mean? I'll I'll use it to do. I'll I'll get the cigar in my hand and then, yeah, exactly like David Mamet style. I will have the cigar and then I'll just lean in and I'll say this a lot. And let me tell you another thing. <laughs> and, and point and point it at him. Exactly. <laughs> let me tell you a thing or two about a thing or two. And then I'm just using the cigar to like you know to to to, to really make the to bring my point into stark relief. Well, that would be fun, and, and I wish uh, some station would have done that here before the smoking right. laws went into Well, here's effect. the thing. I'm announcing this on the air so that uh, some other uh, uh, jackass can steal it, but, but that's, I think we're going to do that. I'm saying it right now. We may not do it. CBS may not want us to do that as like an actual radio promotion. Who knows? But I myself... Well, that's it. not yet. Uh, I'm just, so I myself and Sarah and maybe a few others, even if we, even if we don't do it as part of the show, I'm going to do something. Because it just rankles me, man. It just bugs me. So, I mean, it really, we, uh, you know. You know, it's, it, it, but it's true because it's, it's just another, it's, it's another heavy-handed governmental thing. You know, that's why I call it, well, not, that's not, I don't call it, but it's called the, the nanny state. Absolutely. California, I mean, they just, it's, it's like, it's mom. You know, come on. If I, something is legal, it ought to be legal. All right. Never mind. End of end of speech. Yeah. I don't even have a cigar here to gesticulate with. So, uh, all right, my friend, enjoy your day. You on tomorrow? Yes, I am, actually. All right. We will talk to you then. Jim Roop, enjoy your afternoon, sir. Thank you. All right. There you go. That's Jim Roop. Let's do one more, and then we'll take a break. If you're on hold, hang tight. We will, uh, we're will. we trying to get to all calls within 10 minutes today. Uh, all calls within 10 minutes. So we'll get your calls around the corner. Let's do one more, then we'll take a small break. Tim Riley, give us some news. Well, all right. Well, not all kids are no good. A teenage boy is turning the spotlight on American presidents. 13-year-old political whiz Noah McAuliffe has released a book called First Kids, True Stories of All the President's Children. <coughs> Lame. He said he came up with the idea because he noticed first kids aren't discussed very much by anybody ever. You know, you hear about it in the media sometimes of the current president's children, but you don't really, you know, hear about uh, Washington's stepchildren or, uh, you know, Teddy Roosevelt's kids or stuff like that. And there's some really interesting stories to be told. You know, the first kids are just ordinary people thrust into an extraordinary position because their parents have decided to run for public office. Shiny, a slang term for great use in the television series Firefly and the movie Serenity. Mm -hmm. uh, John Adams' children had trouble living up to expectations. Two out of the three kids eventually turned to alcoholism and one of them committed suicide one of them died uh, because of his alcoholism but john quincy adams was the one son of his who rose up to the bar and standard and was kind of a parent like john adams in a way as well because the same fate happened to his kids then there's the story of the goat at the white house benjamin harrison had a goat and his grandkids would often ride the goat one time the goat just had a crazy moment and decided to run off the grounds and into the city so that is crazy imagine a funny sight today of our president running after a goat in the middle of washington dc that was kind of the sight that it was for um the citizens of washington dc <clears throat> i'm sorry i don't mean to step on the dreams of the young that sounds fascinating what, were goats run free through the cities? Whatever. I wasn't even really listening. It was meticulously researched. I know. I suppose. Who wants to take a break? I do. All right. 
We'll take a break. More from Tim Riley around the corner. Uh, if you're on hold, hang tight. We'll get your calls around the corner. All calls answered within 10 minutes today. Uh, later on, Nina, uh, said Nina Blackwood, Nina Parker uh, from TMZ.com. At 2 o'clock, we'll be talking to Greg Raisman uh, from the Portland Office of Transportation for your bike V car questions. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. Busy day, busy day. All right. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Uh, we'll get phone calls in just a second. Tim has a little bit of uh, not huge news. I think probably predictable, but breaking. We'll get that in a second. Interesting. Nina Parker from TMZ.com and Greg Raisman from the Portland Office of Transportation about bikes and cars and the intersections between the two. Uh, let's see, about the smoking ban. I think I'll just do one of these because as we get closer to December, undoubtedly we'll talk more and more about it. Rick, do you, uh, let's see, so do you also support an adult's right to drink alcohol wherever they want since it's legal? Yes, I do. I do indeed. It was legal in Britain up until, what, like six months ago? Of course, of course I do. I mean, this, I mean, maybe maybe it shouldn't go without saying, so I was going to say, of course it goes without saying. Maybe it doesn't go without saying. Of course, uh, alcohol, if you are uh, of drinking age, which ought to be 18, by the way, if you are... It was of, back in my time. It was. Old enough to, uh, you're old enough to kill, but not for drinking, Tim. Uh, so the drinking age, A, ought to be 18, and B, you ought to be able to drink wherever you want unless you are in a place of business or private property where it is specifically restricted or forbidden. Dr alcohol is a legal substance. There's nothing illegal about it. Now, if you want to say people can't drive drunk, people can't operate machinery drunk, if people commit crimes uh, while they are intoxicated, then it's that is the crime. The crime isn't drinking. So... Uh, so just like cigarettes, alcohol is a legal product. You ought to be able to do whatever you want with it. Now, if your boss says you can't drink or smoke or whatever, you know what? That's the boss. That's the company. That's their right. If you're on private property, they say you can't drink or smoke. That's fine. It's private property. Uh, but if you are in a place where there are no such restrictions, you ought to be able to drink and smoke with impunity. That is theoretically uh, what makes America America and what you know what makes Ireland Ireland. So, I mean... I mean, really, people, if we could just sort of ratchet back maybe to caring about what other people do with their bodies, maybe, oh, I don't know, by 100% or so, we might be better served in this fading republic of ours. Calls in just one moment. This is Tim Riley. And now, though, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Yeah, back in the days of swing time, you could drink at 18. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't even know why the drinking age... Or when was raised to Reagan. 21? Was it Reagan? He was going to take away federal highway funds to any state that did not do that. You know, but raising the drinking age to 21 is, first of all, is first of all hypocritical. Uh, second of all, it's well, illogical. Politicians are behind it. Hey, of course, and I mean it's one of those things. But you know what? Here's the problem. The thing about it is, of course, it passes because most of the because the vast majority of the voting population is over the age of 21, so they don't care. So of course they'll get behind it. Uh, it's just like the, the instant people graduate from high school, they become big proponents of year-round schooling. Why? Not going to affect them. So you know, you know, and I'm. Just, and people, just, when you're 18, they, end up, they drink anyway. I mean, it's, you're yeah, just, when you're like 17. Just you might as well outlaw breathing. It just doesn't. It just doesn't make sense. People in this country ought to be left alone to do what they want to do. Uh, I, I don't understand people who want smaller government, but only about things that they that they think are important. Everywhere else, government fine, regulations fine. There was once a time when you know. Teenagers could drink and show up chest hair and disco dance and have unsafe sex. You can't do any of that anymore. 
It was a golden we're, era, we're Tim. Trinkets around their necks. <laughs> Wear tight polyester clothes. Hey, here's a question for you, Tim. You sort of came of age in the swing town era, uh, chronologically, if not socially. Yeah. Um, did you ever know anybody who really wore a Coke spoon? No. Or is that a thing that only exists in, like, fiction? But I, I did know, like, people with handlebar mustaches that had some plaque that said whiskey around the volume knob of their radio in their cars, which was really What weird. does that mean? I don't know. Apparently they loved whiskey. Well, who doesn't? Uh, that Coke spoon, I always wondered if that was a thing that was just sort of, if that was a thing that was only there in artistic representations of the time. I had a hippie cousin who made dope soup. What is, is that just soup with marijuana in it? It certainly was. That's a very 70s thing. That's a thing my you probably wouldn't do now. My parents never let me go back after they found oh, out that my, my friend has liquid marijuana drops that she'll put into her drinks. Does she have to make those herself? Mm -hmm. She makes them, but... Do you um, blend it or something? Yeah, she. I don't know exactly how she does it, but she has a little a little bottle that she'll bring out. She's one of my like super creative, amazing friends who smokes pot 24 hours a day. And right. Like, she just can't not do it. Yeah. There's, I mean, I guess there's people who are very, you know... I mean, everybody knows the sort of... Fabulous, very freak brother, you know, guy that just sits on the sofa and doesn't do anything. Well, uh, the free love lady on Swingtown is Sarah's age. Lena Perilla, who wait, plays which lady? Trainer? Which lady is this? I don't, I don't have a picture of her, but she's Grant Shaw's wife. Okay. Uh, Grant Shaw. Now, Lena Perilla was born in 1979. Grant Shaw in 1962. So uh, there's quite a, an age difference between them. So that's a May-December romance. I wait, guess can so. you go back one second on Swingtown? Mm -hmm. So is. It takes forever for my computer to go back. This is CBS. Oh, well, you're using Internet Explorer. It's, can you click on uh, Molly Parker? Molly Parker. That's the Susan. woman I'm thinking of. Okay, where do I know her from? She's kind of a plain-looking gal. Is that the woman I'm Born in 1972. Like I know her from somewhere. The she Hollywood, was in Hollywood Land. Hollywood Land. Mm -hmm. I find her sort of strangely attractive. She's a little bit of an odd-looking woman, but I, I think she's hot. There's something kind of... Something, she's, something rather plain Jane-ish about her. There's something kind of British about her for some reason. She looks sort of... Looks sort of continental. She looks kind of like that woman who plays um, uh, Olivia Cross in Rushmore. A little bit. She was in The Good Shepherd also. The Good Shepherd. That's the other place I know her from. Uh, let's go through these calls, and then we'll have your little bit of breaking but unsurprising news. We'll just do these in order. Hi, you're on The Rick Emerson Show. What's up? Hey, Rick. Um, I want to talk about Michael Phelps. You know, the guy who is a swimmer yes. in the Olympics. Oh, and, that's uh, the guy who might break the Spitz record? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's kind of pathetic because, like, in his four by four, like the four, uh, four by one hundred uh, freestyle. Yes, sir. It was kind of lame because he didn't even qualify for it. He had like he took somebody else's spot just so he could get the gold, and then he half-assed it the whole time, and uh, yeah, and like let everyone. He was the first guy to go off. And he was just... Uh, you think the whole behind, thing is... I mean, he's he's a really good swimmer, and he was just way behind everyone else. And then everyone else worked their uh, butts off and got, uh, got the gold. You think it's a whole one one big clip job? Yeah. It's pretty lame. I think they're just kind of like... It's just like... Us, uh, Let's have them... Oh, by the way, you probably don't know that an Oregonian won the first gold medal for the U.S. at the Summer Olympic Games in Beijing. Who is that and for what? Mariel Zagunas of Beaverton. Became a two-time gold medalist as she defended her Athens gold with a vehicle in women's saber competition. The women's saber competition is that uh, like sword fighting. Yeah, fencing, fencing. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, you let's... can watch all those uh, well less popular uh, sports online. Well, we'll have a moment of hate about it right now. All right. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hey, Rick. Wow. Kara. Hello. Hi. Hello. Um, you know, it's been. 
35 minutes since I've been on hold, so you're not talking about the Olympics anymore. However, oh. I was at the Salt Lake City Olympics. In 90, if so you care. This is the, it was the Winter Olympics 96 Park City, right? No, it was 2002. Oh, see, so what am I thinking? Okay, so that's what it was. So it was 96 when they were denied for the, whatever the upcoming one was, and then they did get it in 2002. That's what I'm thinking of. All right. right. All the, the ski events and such were up at Park City. All right. And then a lot of the other events were downtown, and it was amazing. And it so, was so cool. And is it, I mean, it's a dumb question, but I mean, just there's people everywhere. I mean, just it's just, oh. just a sea of people. Yes, it, it was fantastic. It was, and you know, people all different languages, different. You know, they all look. You know, you could tell who the Mormons were, um, but they were even the Mormons were. I was really impressed at how respectful they were. They left everybody alone. They printed up a bunch of maps uh, and there was with a, their information, but then they they would just hand out maps and they didn't bug anybody. I do recall at one point that they were they were kind of putting together a sort of fact uh, for people who were going to be from either other states or other countries, uh, addressing. You can tell that the Mormons sort of have they have a good sense of self awareness. They know how they're perceived because one of the things on the fact that I saw I don't know if it ended up being on the on the on the final copy was you know can I get a cup of coffee? Coffee in Salt Lake because they know that a lot of people are under the impression that that place is a lot more restrictive than it actually is. So that is really just that is a that is a collision of worlds there. Salt Lake, which is a very homogenous uh, society, sort of bringing in people from just everywhere. Interesting. All right, excellent. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, there you go. Uh, two more, then we'll resume the news. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hi, Rick. What's I up? just want to thank the Emerson Army um, for. Uh, Quite a, quite a while ago, when I couldn't get Viso anywhere, mm-hmm. um, I went down to the Star Mart here in by Washington Square, and they, um, they they carry a lot of beer down there too. And I asked them if they would carry Viso for me, and they obliged and carried Viso for me. And since um, they they have carried the Viso, he has had. Just an amazing amount of people, your listeners, come in and buy stuff from his store. Instant foot traffic. Just and add Viso. Yes, and and he's also had so much that Viso, the company, said that they're going to send him two uh, mountain bikes, and the guy's actually going to give me a mountain bike. Excellent. So it has. So there. So being a Viso enthusiast and a Rick Emerson show supporter has actually paid off for you in a material sense. It, yeah, it has, and he specifically specifically asked me i i've just had some dental work done tim you can relate to how it doesn't your mouth doesn't work i would never quite, have known quite right but uh um yeah he just wanted me to thank you personally and i wanted to thank you personally. and, and please just give them a little shout out what is the location um they're right off of uh greenberg by washington square it's called the star mark right and they carry over 300 designer beers in there, too. Excellent. So it's a great place to go. All right. Stop in there if you're in the area and say uh, thanks for stocking Viso. Excellent. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank right. you. There you go. There you go. Fantasy, and it pays off. It's like that whole section of, in Leap of Faith where the guy, like, I had $30 in my wallet, and I didn't take me no 20 Here's Tim Riley. John Lennon's killer Mark David Chapman has been denied parole for the fifth time. In your face. It's due to concern for the public safety. He's 53. It's not due to concern for the public safety. He's serving a sentence 20 years to life. That's for his safety. Mm -hmm. That guy steps one. I'm surprised. I wish him a long life and the best of health. Sort of. Uh, But uh, are you amazed that somebody hadn't just uh, taken out the trash with that guy? Yeah. I mean, you know, jail's full of rock and roll fans. I am astounded 
They must keep him in just a cell where no one can get near him, though. Like Charles Manson, you know? For the past 16 years, he's received conjugal visits with his wife, Gloria. I hate that word. That. I hate the word conjugal visits. Mm-hmm. And he's a big marshmallow anyway, but I... but you know, the So was he married before he went into the clink or after, you know? That's a good question. Because I am fascinated by women who marry guys like serial killers oh, or death Oh, the Boys Club, I think, was the same thing. Uh... The guy who strangled his girlfriend during rough sex? Is that the Billionaire Boys Club guy? No, the guy that killed the father. The, the, the oh, two brothers. Oh, no, the Menendez Lyle, brothers. Lyle and... Uh, what's oh, they've name? made many the a Menen- fantastic Lifetime movie about them. Lyle and Eric Menendez and their sweaters. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you know, I've talked about this one before, actually. But have you ever seen that woman who married... Um, uh, what's his name? Is it uh, Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker? No, no. Seriously, her picture doesn't do her justice. But if you ever, I forget her name, you can look it up, you go to his Wikipedia entry. Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker in Los Angeles, who, you know, uh, if, if, if you were around in that time or know much about serial killers, I mean, he's notorious. But it, suffice it to say, he's a creepy guy who killed a bunch of people and maimed them, you know, in service of his Dark Lord Satan. Uh, and has the pentagram on his hand and everything. He's just a creepy, messed up guy. Um, but there's a woman who is married to him. Her name is like Dolores something or other. She's married to him, and you see these interviews with her. She's got an IQ of like 175. Wow. She was, I think, a teacher uh, and then like worked at a bookstore, but I mean, very like a, like a the bookworm type. Again, the massive IQ, financially stable, and is married to him. And she it's so creepy when you see her interview because it's that weird thing of like, you know, somebody was saying that I was somebody was saying that I was being mean to the bug guy yesterday because I was sort of being outwardly polite, but they said that, they, that I was Not being somebody many somebody's. Yeah, they, they, they felt like I was sort of underneath it, being snarky. The thing with her is, you see her interviewed, and she's so like polite and intelligent and soft spoken, and she's talking about how, well, he's just a really sweet person, and you know, and 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 I see, you know, what other people don't see about Richard. I mean, I see um, just the sweet, tender boy that's uh, that's inside, and uh, you know, I. Uh, I just really know that he's a good, warm-hearted person, and we're going to be together forever. And I'm so glad. And, but it, but it's like you you see her saying she's dressed in, in like this very basic sort of you know simple but sort of nice dress, and she's at her house, which is all tastefully appointed. But you can tell she's just crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you can't put your finger. That's got to be that line one. Uh, you can't put your finger on what makes her crazy, but you can just tell. I mean, she's just got the crazy vibe, and 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 the one. Outward crazy tell, I mean, apart from the fact that she's married to Richard Ramirez, is that she is that, you know, because he's on death row. I mean, he's not getting out. They're going to kill him one of these days. And her whole thing is that she's just said, well, like, when they, when, you know, and when he's executed, I'll kill myself. And, you know, it's, you know, it's what I do. And it's, and she's, I want to see a whole documentary on that woman. I mean, she's fascinating. If you ever get a chance, I forget her name, you Google it. And the next time you see like a serial killer those thing, women who just are totally into guys being locked up. Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy was getting all those uh, when and he was on groupies? death row. That's just so weird. Seriously, women, dear Ted Bundy, you're so hot. Uh, you know, it's all very weird. Uh, all right, let's do one more, and then we'll talk to uh, Nina Parker from TMZ. Let's do a penis watch. Here's your uh, penis watch for uh, what the hell is today? Tuesday on the Rick Emerson Show. Take a look at my enormous penis, and my troubles start melting away. I take a look at my enormous penis, and everything is going my way. Here's uh, Tim Riley with Tuesday's penis watch. Sad news from Russia. A wife divorces a man over a broken penis. Wow, that's sad news for both parties. Mm-hmm. 
Apparently, his uh, penis extension broke off during sex. Amorous couples uh, are still uh, prevalent on Dubai's public beaches. Apparently, this is where this happened. Gregory Chiparov, who's 47, was fitted with a special uh, penis extension. When he told doctors, he couldn't measure up to his wife's expectations in the bedroom. But his wife uh, kicked him out when the extension broke off during wild sex play. Wow. So this was a... I'm be careful about this, but I mean, was it a, uh, a a medical extension? Was it just like a thing you get out of a box and you put it on, or does it uh, say? Maybe it's like a vacuum cleaner extension. I told this. It is Russia. <laughs> For the I told her area. I would get a new one, but she'd have none of it. Uh, he added. Uh, she said she was fed up with my failures in bed and wants a divorce. That's a little harsh. Okay, so a he's got a broken penis. B, his wife then dumps him for it. Yes. That's sort of a lose-lose situation, I suppose. You know how cruel the Russians can be. <sighs> They're savage people, Tim. That's why they take over countries. All right, there's your penis watcher. Wow. Saying my troubles start a melting away. I take a look at my enormous penis. Saying everything is going my way. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from TMZ.com, Nina Parker. Hello. How are you today? I love being introed into music like that, so I'm great. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> the Rick Emerson Show really goes, we go the extra nine yards to amuse the people. I mean, that's what I, we do. I love it. <laughs> All right. So, uh, TMZ, we'll just sort of work our way backward here. I was looking at kind of the list of things you guys are talking about. First of all, I got, uh, we were just talking about Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker, and serial killers and whatever, and there's probably, as I think Woody Harrelson says in the movie Natural Born Killers, uh, you know, it's hard to beat the king. Uh, Charles Manson is probably, I, I would say, probably the most uh, most famous currently incarcerated killer in American history is somebody associated with killers. And they were doing this. There's this thing. Is this actual footage of there's this seance at Sharon Tate's house? Yeah, there's actual footage of this. This is this is not actually her house because the house no longer exists. This is actually a place that's about 150 feet away from where her house used to be. And it was just this group of people who got together for this seance and decided that, you know, they wanted to see if anything supernatural would happen. So we didn't really get a lot on our cameras. We did get some lights flickering. Um, people there complained of back pains and, you know, figurines moving and things of that nature. We we didn't catch all of that, but uh, they definitely had a seance, you know, on the anniversary of Sharon Tate's death. It's interesting to think they would have a seance sort of next door. I mean, is that a thing that, like, the spirit world can sort of deduce your intentions? I mean, <laughs> really, honestly, I mean, that, that seems a little strange. If you're having a seance next door, how is the world of the great beyond to know that you're trying to get actually to... No, 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 we're really aiming for about 300 feet that way. It seems like, you know, you, you, might, just be, uh, you might just be contacting, like... Uh, you know, uh, like you know, Bob Francesca or whoever it is that used to live in that house. Apparently they wanted to have the seance but wanted to be in the comfort of their own home and couches and not outside. So it was no. a comfortable seance. And then there is – you'll have to help me out on, on pronouncing her name because I, it's one of those names I see written all the time, but I, I don't say it out loud. And it's Hayden – who's the girl from Hero? How do you pronounce her last name? Yeah, Hero. Hayden Panettiere. From Heroes. And so th there's some sort of dust-up happening with – what is it with celebrity girls and their nutcase fathers, man? Yeah. It's not even really the celebrity girls sometimes. It's like the celebrity girls, in this case the girl from Heroes, and her dad. And the dads in these cases – or depending on who it is, it's always like, dad is a cokehead, dad punches a guy, uh, dad is uh, dating some 19-year-old, uh, you know, some skis from down the street. Or in this case, dad is what? He's, what is it, allegedly, it's an alleged wife-beating thing? Yeah, it sounds 
like he was actually arrested for assaulting Hayden Panettiere's mom. Um, a couple nights ago, they went to an event, and he said that he felt like he had been disrespected by the mother in, in this case because he felt that she was flirting with someone. They went home, had a few words, and he allegedly hit her a few times in the face, uh, and so right across her left cheek. So she has noticeable, noticeable bruising. Uh, he was taken, you know, to, to jail. He's been released. And the crazy thing is we got video out yesterday of him and his wife, and, you know, they're acting like nothing ever happened. So, you know, this crazy assault happens. It's all over the news, and now they're out kind of getting a little bit of publicity, trying to let everyone know that everything is okay, but clearly there's a problem. Yeah, it seems like as soon as you are a couple that has a child in the family, it's going to be, you know, you got a son or a daughter that's going to be acting or that is going to be a musician, or when it becomes clear that your child is going to be headed for celebrity, it seems like the very first thing the agents ought to do is just get some, uh, some in-house shrink, just on retainer, whose sole job is to shadow the parents and to make sure that the parents don't go bonkers. Because I said, a lot of times the kid totally stays level-headed, and then you got these parents who either because they have their own thwarted ambitions of acting or celebrity, or because it's just a sudden influx of fame or money or whatever... You know, these parents just, they just, man, they just, they just fall apart inside like a cheap suit. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if they're trying to live, you know, through their kids and, you know, they just kind of, with everything, all of the perks that they get from being associated with a, a famous child, they just kind of lose it a little bit. But, uh, you know, they still have a young son. Uh, Payton Pantier's brother, you know, is a, is a young teenager. So I hope that they are able to get it together for him because, uh, you know, Payton is a little bit older, but, you know, it still affects both of them. I got to tell you this. I'm looking at this guy's a picture right here. Alan, her dad, he looks like any number of guys that has, uh, you know, that you see at a bar who's got like he's a little too sweaty, eyes a little too manic, sort of clenching his hands back and forth, and then inevitably comes over for no readily apparent reason during the evening, sticks his finger in your chest and says, "You got a problem with me?" So <laughs> I have a little angry. I have seen this guy in all incarnations. He also looks like. Uh, Gen Xers will know what I'm talking about here. If you look at this guy, he also looks a little bit like an emaciated version of Jacko, the Energizer battery guy from the 1980s. So there you go. Um, all right, Nina Parker from TMZ.com. As always, a pleasure. Enjoy the rest of your California afternoon. We will talk to you soon. All right, thanks so much. Thank you. There you go. Nina Parker, ladies and gentlemen. By the way, you'll note that I did not, I did, I did not at least in the presence of Nina, uh, pass along the awful joke that occurred to me earlier in this segment. I probably still won't. What was your awful joke? Ah, I probably shouldn't say. It's probably beneath even me. Okay. No, no, I'll, I'll wait. Uh, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Let's take a break here. We'll come back with Greg uh, Raisman from the Portland Office of Transportation. Uh, yeah, he is here. We will have him in the studio here in just a few. Later on, more from Tim Riley, your phone calls, etc. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Ladies and germs, here's Dio. Back up with us. the Rick Emerson radio program, draw near that ye might learn and be entertained. It's uh, 503-733-2970, 503-733-2970. So if you've been uh, living in Portland or areas around Portland over the last, I don't know, three, four, five, six, seven, eight weeks, uh, there's been all of this sort of, there's all these dust-ups between motorists and cyclists and uh, guys on bikes and guys in cars and 
sometimes there's been physical confrontation, sometimes there's just been a lot of yelling, and a lot of times there's just been a, a confusion. And so Sarah bikes a lot, sometimes drives. I drive a lot, sometimes I bike. Uh, Tim drives, takes the max. A lot of people in the audience who are delivery drivers, uh, they're behind a wheel all day. A lot of people who are bike messengers, they're on the bike all day. Uh, and then people who are sort of on both sides of the aisle. So it, it, not to be all serious about it, but I think our goal was... Not that we're opposed to Stripe and Discord, because we do traffic in both of those things heavily. Uh, but I think we wanted to find a way to answer a lot of questions about bike law, motorist law, uh, etc., just from somebody who is both informed uh, and objective. And so people have said, well, why don't you get so-and-so from the Portland Bike Alliance, or why don't you get so-and-so from the AAA, or whatever. To, it, it, and then Richie called Sam Adams on his cell phone. And then Richie called Sam Adams at home on his private cell phone number and said, I'm calling for the Rick Emerson Show. Can I ask you a question about bicycles? Uh, and then it, 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 it was all very bad. So anyway, our goal was to sort of get somebody who can give us uh, information and it, who's coming from an objective point of view. So we want to welcome to the Rick Emerson Show. Uh, traffic. Thank you. It was either this or Bicycle Built for Two from Oklahoma. Uh, Traffic Safety Specialist for the Community and School Traffic Safety Partnership in the Portland Office of Transportation, Greg Raisman. Hi, Greg. How you doing? Uh, Pretty good, Brian. How are you? Uh, (laughs) Rick. Oh, Rick. That's okay. Hey, I'll call you Brian for the next hour if you don't mind. He's pulling a... um, Is that like a Don Rickles thing? A Don Rickles thing when he called you. Don Rickles (laughs) called me Eric. Like the whole interview, he's like, Eric, thanks so much. I had a great time. Do okay, I look Rick, like a? I'll, I'll stick with Rick. Do I do I look like a Brian? Well, you kind of do. You could I'll... be a Brian. You don't look like not, a not Rick. a bad way. If you were to add, if you were to list the two other names that I sort of looked like, what would they be? Uh, Mark and uh, Steve. Mark. I hear Mark all Mark, the time. Totally. I always hear that I look like a Mark. What is it? You with... don't really look like a Rick. What is up with that? Maybe a Richard. All right. Yep. Dick. A uh, Rick. <laughs> I'd say Rick. You're off to a flying start, Greg. Right? <laughs> oh, I am. I am feeling the love. Uh, it's there, brother. It is. Uh, all right. So, um, so I'm going to pull up a chair here. By the way, if you have a question, and uh, we're going to try to keep this, you know, very civil or whatever. It's the thing that people have been really, as you know, kind of people have gotten real cranky about. Uh, if you have a question about cycling, you know, bicycling law, uh, motor law, as it sort of pertains to getting along with pedestrians and people on bicycles, uh, this is the time to call. It is 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Two nine seventy people. Just to restate this again, people have asked for a long time. Can somebody just tell me whether da 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 is legal or not, or, or what is the deal? This is the guy who can answer those questions. It's five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. So, I guess I don't even I don't even know really uh, where to start except to say that uh, has it has there always been this sort of uh, tension between the cyclists and the motorists, or is it has it gotten worse recently? Is that a thing the media created, or is it really? Do you feel like there is more confusion now than there has been? Uh, you know, I think that anytime uh, we have a whole bunch of people trying to interact out there, most of it's going to go well, and sometimes it's not. You know, in our city, we have about 26 million miles a day traveled with hundreds of thousands of people. And so I don't think that the concept that, gosh, you know, some of us aren't getting along out there is new. I think what is new is we've had a lot of success at um, getting people to ride bicycles and walk and take transit. Um, and as that happens, you know, change sometimes can be difficult. And um, it also, as change happens, it can be exciting and interesting, and the media uh, wants to talk about all sorts of facets right. of it. Um, and so I don't think that um, uh, it's getting worse out there. Actually, I think it's getting better in a lot of ways. Um, and one of the signs of our success, I think, is that we're getting a lot of attention and a lot of discussion about, gosh, you know, how do we uh, make it as good as we can? All right, so uh, we'll get some phone calls here in just a second. Let me just, uh, we'll start with a question uh, that I got this uh, this morning. 
This is a question for the bike guy. Regarding pedestrian crosswalks, if a cyclist is on the sidewalk at a crosswalk, must he get off his bike and walk it across the crosswalk? In other words, when walking the bike, do we treat them as pedestrians? And if they are riding the bike through the crosswalk, do we treat them as cars? So basically what this person is saying is if she's in a car, she's coming up to a crosswalk, and there's a guy on a bike, is he supposed to ride across the crosswalk or walk his bike? And is she supposed to yield to him or not, depending on what he's doing, if that makes sense? Sure, it does. I think it's a great question. Um, and it's it's actually the answer is in between. Um, the re, the uh, responsibility for the cyclist in that case is actually to um, ride at a pedestrian speed. And so um, sidewalks and crosswalks really are where we uh, want to prioritize pedestrian safety and pedestrian travel. And so bicycles uh, being a vehicle that travels a lot faster than pedestrians, you know, we really want when you're on your bike to really be mindful of pedestrians. So um, the law says that you have to actually come to a pedestrian speed in the crosswalk. Some people find that difficult, so some people do walk. And in terms of the driver, um, they have the requirement to actually basically, when the bicyclist is doing that, to treat the bicycle as a pedestrian. But the bottom line is, um, regardless of what the law says, you don't want to hit that person. Sure. Um, and so uh, be cautious as you're turning no matter what. And so if you, is just a sort of bottom line, so if you're on a bike at a, at a crosswalk, it is your choice as a cyclist to either ride it across at a slow speed or walk it. Yes. But the car must yield in any event. That's right. Yeah, because right. they're going to get squished if it doesn't yield in any yeah. event. Yeah. So about downtown sidewalks, I know that in neighborhoods, a lot of the time, you're not, like you, can, you can't ride on sidewalks. Say, so you see where we are on Front Avenue, and I want to get to the Hawthorne Bridge from where I am. Am I legally allowed to ride on the sidewalks on Front Avenue, or are we required? Does she have to be on, to in the street on Front you know, um, it's interesting. In the only place in the city of Portland where it's against the law to ride a bicycle on a sidewalk is in downtown. And the boundary for that is first in Jefferson, where this office is. Um, so if you were to go south from here, you could be on a sidewalk. Now, the thing about that is you're actually a lot more likely to get hit by a car when you're riding on the sidewalk than when you're riding in the street. And the reason why is um, all of the driveways and other cross streets, as you're going across those, people are scanning for information. They're scanning for people going at a pedestrian speed, mm -hmm. and bikes usually go faster. And so, actually, you significantly increase your risk of having a crash with a car um, by riding on the sidewalk. It's a lot better and safer to ride in the street. It's kind of scary, though, like from here as you're heading north on Front Avenue. I mean, this is getting off of a freeway, and people are, like, speeding, like, 40 it's... miles an hour. And I feel a lot safer being on a sidewalk heading northbound than I do as these cars are barreling and not paying attention and, uh, like, heading toward the bridges. And I have to tell you, she and I take more or less the same route to get from home to work or work to home. And during, in downtown, while I stay off the sidewalk, same thing. If I go on front uh, to try to get to uh, the Hawthorne Bridge, for example, on front, I will almost always use the sidewalk because cars don't treat that. Uh, cars treat it like an extension of the highway, in my opinion. Uh, and it feels, I feel unsafe. I feel in danger being on the road on Front Street. Sure. Um, so uh, a couple of things. I mean, I, I think there are some places where um, it's less safe to be in the street. I mean, I'm talking in general when I sure. talk about the sidewalk. Um, for example, if I have a destination on Martin Luther King Boulevard, you know, I get as close as I can and then I hop the sidewalk for, right. you know, half a block or whatever. Um, uh, the rest of downtown, um, we actually chime the signals to be 12 miles an hour during peak time. Um, and so uh, in most of downtown, I think it's uh, you want to take the lane and, and ride. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, in this area, you know, I, I uh, 
you know, I think off air, maybe we could look at a map and see which way we could get you maybe to the um, trail that's uh, uh, behind the building or, right. um, uh, you know, or, you know, there might be places where you want to make a quick connection on a sidewalk and just be real careful when you're at uh, driveways and other streets. And, and my question was, you said it's a, and we can get more specifics, maybe off the air or something, we can get a map or whatever, but you said the boundary is first in Jefferson. So where... Going the other way, where is the boundary? I mean, you get, sure. where does downtown end the other direction? The central business district goes um, up to Hoyt Street uh-huh. uh, in northwest, um, and then from here to 14th. Um, and so those are the only, that square is the only place in the city of Portland where um, it is against the rules to ride on the side. Where you must be in. So it is inclusive in the, of, on the north side of front as well as the south side, or does it start on the south side of traffic and then go up, or is it... Well, it's first, so all of front, it includes, so all of front is included well, in, in what he's saying. Actually, front, you know, that's a great point to bring up, because first is north of, is west of front, right? Um, and the boundary is first, and so front is outside of that boundary. Oh, we're just going to so need a map. We're just going to have... do the sidewalk then. <laughs> on front, but okay. not on first. All right, well, there we go. Okay, so that makes sense. So we, okay, so okay, so I was looking at it backwards. See, this is what I'm saying. Okay, really? <laughs> this is great. No, no lie. At some point, I'm going to get a city map, if this doesn't already exist, and I'm going to have you, like, go and draw the square, show me where it is, whether it's today or whether you fax it to me or whatever, and I'm going to stick it on the website. Because people ask me that all the time. They're like, where's downtown? They're like, what? Everybody knows, you know, if you're at the 24-hour fitness, everybody knows that's downtown. Sure. But again, there's areas that are a little gray, like, am I downtown? Am I not? Do I have to be in the road? Uh, and this is probably, we'll get, uh, go right at the phones here in a second. It's 503-733-2970. If you have a question about the legality of bicycling certain ways or how cars and bikes intersect, who has to yield to who, uh, or, you know, or just observations about bike law. Um, just so we can clarify this, I think everybody should know this, but downtown, uh, a bike is allowed the full lane under Oregon law, correct? Correct. That is that true outside of downtown? In other words, if I'm in southeast Portland, uh, and I'm, uh, you know, I'm in southeast Portland on Powell or on, you know, wherever, am I allowed the full lane? Well, the law basically um, says that you should ride as far to the right as practicable, um, and but it does allow you the um, right to the full lane uh, to, for safety reasons. Right. And so um, it's uh, you, it's basically this balance where you want to ride as far to the right as practicable, um, but you don't want to impede traffic. Sure. And so you really want to be mindful about what's around you, um, uh, just like you want others to be mindful of you. And so um, uh, it, you have the right when you need it, but in general, you want to ride as far to ride as So in other words, I so I can be in the middle of the lane so I have maximum visibility and whatever. But if I begin to, in other words, if I'm a bicycle and I'm driving in the lane uh, and I'm, you know, I'm there in the middle of the lane so everybody can see me. But if cars start stacking up behind me, I got to get to the right. Yes. And I mean, the other thing is, I think it's about route selection. Always. I mean, I think that Powell, there's so many better streets to pick. Yeah, it's an extreme example. Yeah. Um, uh, that, um, you know, you don't have to put yourself into that position um, right. in the first place. All right. Uh, we are uh, talking to uh, Greg Raisman. He's from the Portland Office of Transportation. It's 503-733-2970. Uh, if you've got questions uh, or whatever about the bikes and what they have to do, what they don't have to do, how they interact with cars. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. What's up? I had a question about turning. When you're turning left, but the street you're on has a bike lane on the right, do you turn left from the bike lane or from the turn lane? I have that question all the time. If you are going down a street and there's a bike lane on the right, but you need to turn left, from where do you turn left? From the left lane. You make a left um, uh, just like you would in your car. You don't want to make 
a left from the rightmost lane. You want to be um, positioning yourself. So you have two choices, really. You can either move to the left, uh, make sure it's clear, do a head check, make sure it's clear behind mm-hmm. you, signal, and then move over to the left to make your left turn. Or you can do what's called an L left turn, um, where you actually uh, go across the intersection from the right side and then position yourself uh, uh, on the other side of the intersection to then go across sure, the other right. Um, but generally, if you're doing it in just sort of in motion, um, uh, you do want to check, check, move, check to the left, and then go over. There's other uh, uh, reasons the law lets you leave a bike lane, and making a left is one of them. All right, excellent. Thank you, sir. Welcome. There you go. What are the other reasons for leaving the bike lane? Uh, other reasons for leaving the bike lane are um, if there's debris or a hazard in it, um, if you're trying to pass somebody, another bicyclist, um, or if there's another obstruction in the bike lane. All right. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. What do you say, and we'll get another call here in just a second, what do you say to, this is my wife, uh, my wife's big uh, complaint about bicyclists there's been a lot of, lot of people uh, irritated lately at, at bicyclists who don't stop at red lights or stop signs. They do a California stop or they just, I mean, let's be honest, they roll right through. A lot of times down Clinton especially, you'll see cyclists go right through that stop sign. And first of all, to clarify, uh, if you're on a, a bicycle, you are required to react to those things just as a car does. Absolutely. You've got to stop at a red light, got to stop at a stop sign. Yes. Uh, what, is stop, what is defined as stopping? Like, like if I'm stopped but my feet are still on the pedals but I've come to a complete stop, do I have to touch the ground? Or if I'm just standing there and I'm, I'm at a complete stop, can I start pedaling again? You do not have to touch your foot to the ground. Just what the stop law your says forward is, motion. is that you need a complete cessation of motion. Okay. Um, it, it, uh, uh, so a track stand is okay. Okay. All right. Uh, hi, you're on the uh, Rick Emerson radio program. Hello. Yes, it is, sir. Hello. Hi. Hi. Um, I had a question as to why we can't seem to get anyone over 18 who wants to ride a bike instead of their car to license it. Uh, this is a, we've heard this from a lot of people. In fact, I got an email about this just a few minutes ago. A guy was saying, in his opinion, if they're going to have the right to the full lane, if they're going to have to follow the traffic laws, if they're going to have to stop at red lights and whatever, uh, in other words, if they're going to get to act like a car, that they got they should have to follow the same legalities as a car and be licensed. Do you hear? Do you get people who float that idea a lot that they want to license bikes? Sure, I, I definitely hear that from time to time, and um, there's a few issues around it. Uh, I think that if you do it, you do it for education purposes um, and do it in the same way we do driver training to try to train drivers, although I think there's a lot of problems with that system. Um, the, some of the challenges around it are that um, sometimes people think, you know, if you do it, you're going to do it to raise money, and unfortunately um, that uh, just doesn't work that way. By the time you set up all the systems to make it happen, um, it's expensive. And then the second thing is there's a lot of sort of – um, blurry lines about it. I mean, um, you know, kind of a, a less blurry place would be, you know, are we going to license the child who's riding his big wheel? Probably not. Um, uh, the person you're describing, you know, would probably be someone we want in that program. But there's all sorts of stuff in between that become a real problem in terms of um, defining a program. And so where we are is uh, really wanting to find broad education programs that are very clear, um, that are cost-effective, um, and also that, that get the word out more broadly. Um, and clearly that's something that we need and, to uh, continue to work and, on. And let me just ask well, you, oh, hold up, what is your name, sir? This is Mike. Okay, Mike, let me just ask you this question. Uh, my question to you would be, and uh, it would be, from your vantage point, why do you believe bicycles ought to be licensed? Um, I believe that someone who is over 18, who is an adult, and chooses to ride their bike should do so in a legal matter, just like a car. I'm a commercial truck driver. I have to have all kinds of endorsements that I paid $3 for. 
So to get an endorsement on my license to drive a motorcycle, which is just a motorized bicycle, why not just charge them, you know, three bucks on their license to get a bicycle license? In other words, that is it, means that they've taken the test, they know the laws, and they're going to follow the laws. So, in other words, you, so, you, so your logic is that the license would then demonstrate that they have been taught uh, and understand theoretically the, the law and how to drive, how to bike safely. Correct. All right. Well, fair enough. All right. Thank you, sir. And so do you, and I mean, I don't know, I mean, I've sort of said if it's just for revenue purposes, you know, you could do something where you put, institute some sort of a tax on bicycles or bicycle equipment if you're, if the people are just worried about the resources that they're using or whatever. But, but you, your whole thing is it's a tricky area of do you license everybody? Do you license a 10 year old kid on a Huffy? Sure. You know? and, and also, I don't think we have a system that works really well, even in terms of the licensure system that, uh, uh, for cars and trucks. I mean, I, last time I was tested, I was 16. I lived right. in a different state. Um, I haven't been tested since long. Laws get changed every two years, um, and I think we have lots of examples where um, people uh, that are uh, driving are in the same boat because um, I think our system in general has some trouble. All right. Uh, hi, we're talking to uh, Greg Raisman from the Portland Office of Transportation. It's 503-733-2970. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hello. Hi, is this me? Yes, it's you, sir. Hello. Oh, sorry, you didn't say my name. Um, I've got a question about electric uh, bicycles and or scooters, as they're called and uh, how they're treated by the law as far as are they treated as a bicycle if they don't have to be licensed? Um, how are they considered? So you're talking about like a something Vespa like or something? Or? Like what, what can you yeah, buy the bike lane, what can't? Like when does, it, like when does, a, you know, when does like that motorized skateboard thing, you know, like the Marty McFly thing, when does that become a thing you got to license or becomes a vehicle? Well, I'm saying something a little more along the lines of something that looks like a Vespa maybe. Right. Yeah, I see Vespas you know. in the bike lanes sometimes, like things that look like Vespas. That's a good question. So do they, is it, does it, if you get a guy with a scooter like that, is he in the bike lane or is he in the regular lane or both? Uh, in the regular lane for something that's like a Vespa, um, there is, and I, I don't know the um, size of the electric assist that's allowed and still be considered a bicycle, um, but when we start to deal with things that are motorized, we start to deal with things more like scooters, um, then they are not allowed uh, to use bicycle facilities. Okay, your I'm kind sir. of getting different words from different retailers, and so it seems to be it's kind of different people are saying different things about it, you know. And I'm trying to make a decision what I want to get, you know, and uh, I want to know, you know, because I don't think I can trust the retailers at this point. No, I think it's a great question. It's actually the first time I've heard it. Um, you know, it might be worthwhile for us to maybe make contact uh, uh, with some of the retailers and see if they have any questions, um, just so we make sure there's good information out there. All right. Thank you. Uh, thank hey, you, sir. Do you know what size, uh, speaking of scooters, because I was thinking about purchasing one, what uh, size scooters you can and can't chain to um, uh, a bike rack? When you say scooter, you're talking about a Vespa again? Yeah, like a, either a Vespa or like a smaller size scooter. Like I think... Probably a little more than 50. So can you use a bike security facility yeah, for so that? Basically, like scooters and motorcycles, those types of vehicles are not allowed on the sidewalk. Um, they should be parking uh, just like they would in any vehicle space. Um, uh, they can create other problems for people on the sidewalk, especially people that are blind or in wheelchairs. And so um, we really, uh, uh, it's, it's against the rules, and we also like to discourage people from doing that. Uh, this guy said, this is a basic question, but one worth answering. He says, Rick, please to have the bike guy explain bike boxes. I work downtown, and I'm sure I violated the bike box law, but I don't even know what it is. Uh, now, I'm, clear, I'm unclear about whether he's, I guess he's probably in a, in a car, maybe. Uh, it sounds like he's probably a driver. So the question is, if you're a bike box, if there's no bike there, uh, do you still have to stop behind it? If there's no bike in it, can you go all the way up to the front? 
No. Um, if there's no bicycle there or if there's a bicycle there, you still have to stop behind it. There's a, um, a, a pavement uh, words there called wait, that say wait here, and then there's a sign that says no right turn on red. And so what that means um, is that you have to stop behind the stop bar that's then reinforced with the wait here message and then not turn right on red regardless of anything else. So um, the thing about bike boxes is there's basically two uh, things that they require happen. The first is a stop because there's a stop bar, which we use all over the place. Mm-hmm. Anytime you see one of those white lines, you want to stop behind it. And then the second is no right turn on red. And there's no exceptions. If there were exceptions, we'd put up a sign about those exceptions. If, so the bike box is sort of an L shape. So there's the bike lane and then the box itself goes into the actual, you know, covers the actual lane. So uh, if I'm a cyclist and I'm coming up to the red light and there's the bike box, I am I supposed to get into that part of the bike box that is in front of the cars, or am I supposed to stay in the part of the bike box that's the bike lane? You are really bringing out my inner geek. Um, so well, there's yeah. a, there's a, a kind of regulatory parts and guidance parts. The regulatory parts are all for motorists. Stop here and no right turn on red. The color is used as guidance. Um, cyclists uh, have an option of either moving over um, or staying uh, uh, curb tight. And even if they stay curb tight, the bike box is still helping them quite a bit because the cars are uh, 14 feet back. They're back far enough, or even a large truck is back far enough, that even being on the right side there, the bicycle is a lot more visible. Um, and, uh, you know, places that have been using these for a long time have really seen uh, some really positive uh, 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 numbers in terms of uh, reducing uh, certain types of crashes. All right. Well, let's do one more here, and then we'll take a break, and we'll come back with uh, Tim Riley, some headlines, more of your calls, more from Greg Raisman, Portland Office of Transportation. Uh, if you got a question about uh, bikes, bike laws, what's allowed, what's not, why do bikes get to do this, why do they not have to do that, What you know, or if you're a cyclist, there's a question about cars interacting with you. Um, Will, and I've got one specific question to, to ask sort of on behalf of cyclists when we get back. We'll do one more here, though, before the break. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. What's up? Hey, Rick, this is Dennis from Miles Around. What do you got? What do you got, brother? Hey, this topic has come up several times on our show, and maybe because we're the automotive side of the not so much argument but the statement, but I think what the commercial driver was trying to bring up was a good point. It's not so much that anyone's trying to draw up revenue or draw some sort of rule against someone doing one thing or another on a bike. I think the biggest thing about it is is just the legality of people knowing what the real rules are. And I think this having him on your program right now proves that you can ask 20 different people what the rules are, and 20 different answers will come your way. Yeah, well, that's, it's true. I mean, I, I, you know, he's clarified some stuff already that I didn't know. Uh, so which brings up actually this email that says, um, is there a website where all of these rules are posted? Uh, yes. Um, you can go to www.gettingaroundportland.org um, and find information through there. Um, and ODOT also uh, runs a page um, that does that, as well as the DMV has actually an Oregon bicyclist manual, just like the driver's manual, um, that goes into great detail about what the laws are pertaining to bicycles. All right, cool. Thank you, brother. We'll take a break. Back after this, headlines from Tim Riley, more from Greg Raisman from the Portland Office of Transportation, more of your phone call. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Back after this is the Rick Emerson Show. Stay right there. Now you must raise a child with dignity. Why, hello, 
It's the Rick Emerson radio program. Uh, we're here with Greg uh, Raisman from the Portland Office of Transportation. Just a moment, more of your calls about uh, bicycling law. Uh, what can they do? What can't they do? Uh, cars, bikes, and all things in between. Uh, don't forget, uh, like us at 3, Michael Mara Show at 7. This, however, is Tim Riley. And now, though, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Yeah, and this past Sunday... In the New York Times, there was an article mentioning Portland, saying it is one of the, probably, if not the, one of the most bike city-friendly countries, saying 6% of people going to work ride bikes, as compared to, what, 1% every place else? Now, is that is that true? Is it, We always hear Portland is the most bike-friendly city in the country. Is that just a thing we say to make ourselves look cooler, or is that, do you think, accurate? Uh, I think that's accurate. Uh, you know, we have a lot more people doing it, a lot more different kinds of people doing it, and um, a lot of growth happening out there. Excellent. The passenger who was with Shia LaBeef when his car crashed last month, saying they're both doing fine. Actress Isabel Lucas is now filming Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. She said Shia, hand is healing well. Now, we don't know if this is true or not. It's something kicked, uh, cooked up by his people, but apparently he had extensive hand surgery as a result of that injury accident he suffered in the crash. You notice he's the one that actually suffered. Uh, some workers at a Green County, Ohio resident are in hot water with the health department after an employee took a bubble bath in a Burger King sink. Uh, ew. They even made a four-minute video and posted it on the MySpace. Dude, I'm in the sink. Check it out. It's really gross. <laughs> right. I, just, I don't even want to How think. big is the sink or how small is the person? I was just going to... It's a good-sized sink. Is it the, is it the kind of is it's it a big sink? Is it the sink that has that what like is it? Those power that yeah. thing where you thing where you squeeze the handle and it's like a, it's like a fire hose. Mm -hmm. So actually, you know, to be fair, Henry Rollins tells a really great story about when he was uh, when he was young. He worked at a Baskin Robbins and he was you know he, he was homeless. Uh, you know, he lived in his car and so he would work at the Baskin Robbins. He'd close up and then as he put it, I'd nude up and get in that tub and just turn on that. Thing. And so if you if you'd like walked by that Baskin Robbins in Washington D.C. in about 1986 at about one in the morning, there's like Henry Rollins jamming himself into the sink and giving himself a good power washing. Ugh. Oh, I found that article. So if you want to go online to New York Times, the article is called "Moving Targets," and apparently it's, it's here. Heads up, cars and bikes and pedestrians all scramble for space in Manhattan. And then it uh, talks about some of the. Oh God! Well, Manhattan's got to be a zoo yeah. if you're on a bike. I can't even imagine that. I mean, so. And then it says, in spot clashes around the country, there's hostility this summer. It's erupted into violence. So it, it describes uh, Brentwood, California, doctors charged with assault. He intentionally raked in front of two cyclists. One smashed into his rear window and the other crashed into a pavement. Uh, last weekend in Utah, police arrested a driver of a pickup truck suspected of intentionally plowing into cyclists on a morning ride in Utah. Yeah. And then it mentions, in Biketopia, Portland, Oregon, 6% of the people cycle daily. The national average is 1%. Here's a good, and here's a question, actually, Greg. So we had that, the Portland Bridge Pedal, or whatever it's, the Providence Bridge Pedal, whatever it's called. Yep. That's like 20,000 people, right? Uh, yep. So is there any sort of, uh, is, is there any sort of a ruckus there? Everything goes swimmingly, smoothly? Yeah, actually, um, this year it was a, uh, a lot more smooth than it's been uh, in the last couple of years. And, you know, I just heard it's kind of like a smile factory. Lots of families out there, lots of kids, you know, people out there getting about, seeing the city in ways they wouldn't normally do it. And uh, so, yeah, I've heard it's been going really well. We'll get some more calls here in a second. Let me ask you this. What do you think of critical mass? 
Well, um, you know, I think Critical Mass uh, uh, wants to talk about uh, our rights to the street, and that's a really important message. Um, I think a lot of times um, in terms of uh, trying to get people that might not be with us yet to get with us, um, there might be better ways to do it. I can hear the hedging in your voice. That you, was good. Really, that you was have slick. That on what yeah. do you think of Zoo Bombers? Uh, I think Zoo Bombers are... Uh, great expression of um, the creativity in our city and um, a lot of the fun that's happening out there. Uh, you know, a lot of the um, things that have been coming out of uh, that uh, community, I think, have been really neat in terms of um, some of the bikes that we see around town that are really defining who we are and um, some of the events. I mean, to have a thing like Pedal Palooza, um, where you have over 200 free community events that are totally grassroots driven, I think that, um, you know, a lot of things are happening to bring people together that way. And, um, you know, there are things, of course, with Zoo Bombers that um, I'd uh, you know, I would do differently um, and things that I discourage them from doing. Um, but in general, uh, I think it's a, it's an, a really uh, uh, interesting part of what makes Portland vibrant. you got to run for something. Dude. God, you really do. Seriously, you threaded. That's a, that's a, you know, that is a, uh, that is a needle. Th- what is it? The, the camel through the eye of a needle or whatever. You just, you threaded that answer pretty well. Yeah, well done. Person. Thank you. All right. So this. Oh, I'm sorry. Go I'm sorry go I just have one quick question. Because I live in the suburbs and you probably, maybe you are familiar um, the suburbs are supposed to be the great place for families, but the the bike lanes are really spotty. And where they are, there's no warning when they just end into ditches and, and deep holes. <laughs> no good, is it? Into a mine shaft. I mean, is there anything being done in the suburbs? Because the suburbs are just as dangerous as some places in Portland. You know, I think that our suburbs are learning from um, uh, places that have really gone after bicycle transportation. I mean, in my mind... Um, transportation is about serving the widest spectrum of people. So we want to make sure that we have places where children can ride comfortably to their friend's house and seniors can stay active. And, you know, in our country, we've really been dominated by a school of thought that's been against bicycle transportation and against um, elements like bike lanes and bike paths and things that have shown to be really successful at both increasing the number of people riding and increasing the safety of people across modes. And so I think some of the some of that's played out in our suburbs, and our suburbs are really starting to learn and being forced to learn in a lot of ways as gas prices have changed and those types of things. And so I think over time you'll see even our suburbs get a lot better for riding a bike in. There you go, Tim. Civility will even come to your neighborhood. <laughs> Eventually. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, Tim Riley, greatest newsman in the history of the world, back at 4, 5, uh, 6, and 7, top of the hour all the way through. Like us. Talking to Greg Raisman from the Portland Office of Transportation about bike issues. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. What's up? Hey Greg, I was curious. Um, I see those miniature motorcycles that are they're under 50 cc's. I was curious what the rules are for. Are they street legal? Or? Is this sort of the scooter question we had before? No, well, I see like a little mini choppers and a uh, little mini cross rockets running around, and uh, I'm just curious uh, if you could ride them on the road. I've, so, I've heard they're street. So legal. is there a is there an engine uh, str- you know cc limit or whatever? Is there a cutoff yeah. point at which it becomes either they got to follow the rules or they don't? You know, this is another question I just haven't gotten a lot of. Um, I do remember some of those really mini bike mo- motorcycles that kind of like little replica-looking things that right. go real fast and you have to crouch on. Um, I do remember when those came out that there was uh, they wound up having to stop selling them because they weren't legal, um, but it's not an issue that I followed very closely. All right. Thank you, sir. I'm sure scooters are going to be a, a bigger and bigger issue, especially since, you know, gas prices and whatnot. I mean, I want to know, because I'm looking into getting a scooter, as I know a lot of people are, and I kind of want to figure out. Sure. What goes in what lane? Uh, an email says, so this is from um, Jay. He says, bike bo- this bike box creates an extremely slick hazard in the rain for two-wheeled, ve- uh, two-wheeled vehicles, uh, such as scooters and motorcycles, due to the painted surface. 
Has ODOT thought about alternatives since I don't think the safety of one group should be decreased for another? I've actually heard that from several people that the bike boxes, the paint is very, very slick. I've heard that, and it's not true. Um, uh, it's not paint, actually. It's a type of thermoplastic that's actually embedded with a, um element that uh, makes it so it's actually got a higher friction uh, 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 than asphalt does. Um, and so... Um, we work really hard to make sure that the surfaces we put out are safe, and um, uh, the bike boxes are no different. It's the same material we've been using for over a decade now um, for all of our striping and lane markings, and uh, it's not something that's been an issue. We've... In your face. Yeah. All right. Uh, Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Radio Program with Greg Raisman. What's up? Okay, just trying to keep uh, score here. Zoo bomber's good, unibomber's bad. Okay, get that over with. Um, following a bike on a uh, on a road in my, in a car, maybe a yellow line or a double yellow line, uh, guys going slowly uphill or whatever. Can I pass him? Yeah. So uh, last session there was actually a law that passed that said that you have to pass um, with a safe distance, and that law does allow you if um, there's no oncoming traffic um, to pass that person and across the double yellow to do it. Um, however, uh, yeah, you know if you have a curve coming up and things like that, it's best to Wait, but if you have clear visibility and no one's coming, uh, yes, uh, uh, you do have the uh, right um, to pass them. And actually, the responsibility that when you do, that you leave a safe distance. Boy, can I just say, how great are we for having you on and how great are you for knowing this? Because never, it never would have occurred to me to ask that question, and it never would have occurred to me that you would just know it. I mean, no offense, but it's just like an obscure, you know. And, and it's always, you know, like on a, on a rural road with a double yellow in the middle, and they're going up a hill, and they're just chuffing away as hard as they can, but they're doing like seven miles an hour. Right. And yeah. I'm looking at this double yellow line, remembering the last time I got pulled over the cops saying, you can never cross a double yellow line. Well, and it's good to know this stuff, too, because... We, uh, how do I put this? Do, do you do you believe, uh, Greg? And you know, you know, we got a lot of cops who listen to the show, but it probably is hard even for cops to keep track of oh, yeah. what the law is. And so, a cop, the situation, a cop might say, "Hey, you crossed the double yellow." And either the guy says, well, no, 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 I, I'm allowed to get around the cyclist, and maybe not everybody knows. You know, so. sometimes when I give presentations, I hold up two books. One's the Oregon Vehicle Code, and one's War and Peace. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they're the same thickness and the same difficulty to get through. Um, you know, and I think that's part of what we were talking about earlier, where, you know, we have a lot of important changes that happen out there as our conditions change. You know, we have a lot of people like you that, you know, really care and want to make sure you do the right thing. Um, and, 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 and then it's, you know, we have to do a better job, I think, of getting the message out in terms of, you know, what are the rules and, and how do they affect all of us uh, all right we'll uh continue to take your calls here it's 503-733-2970 hi you're on the rick emerson show what's up yeah hey greg i wanted to give you props for the uh one greatest thing i've seen in this city which is at the west end of the broadway bridge there is a uh, signal that is specifically labeled for bicycles and i love that as a motorist i know when i can go and when it's safe and when i'm not going to run somebody over so i wanted to say thank you well thanks I also wanted to ask that uh, when a bicycle is stopped at a stoplight, is it legal for him to go before the light turns green? Absolutely not. Um, uh, uh, first of all, you know, on the bike signal thing, um, I agree with you. I mean, I think it's a really important thing that we need to do a lot more work on, and I think you'll see changes coming um, to, to make more of that type of thing. Um, on the red lights and stop signs, you know, when you look at bike crashes, um, the, the fact remains that basically we don't change the character of who we are, you know, based on how we choose to get around. And that plays out in the numbers where when you look at bike crashes, it's about 50-50 in terms of who's in error um, in those crashes. The, uh, two, the second through fifth most common crash types involve either a bicyclist or a motorist running a stop sign or a red light. And so, and those, uh, of those, about a third of the time, the bicyclist sustains a serious injury. 
And so it's really important um, when we're riding our bikes or driving our cars um, that we stop at those stop signs, we stop at those red lights, because um, when we don't, unfortunately, you know, we just have – uh, limitations about what we can see and what we can hear and what happens just, you know, if the unexpected happens. And those things are there um, to help with those, those unexpected So is it, is it a fair summation of this? Thank you, sir. Uh, is it a fair summation to say on that issue about, like, red lights? And Because that's the thing you hear a lot from drivers. And I've, and I've said, you know, and I, and I don't bike a lot, and I bike enough. And I, you know, to sort of, to sort of maybe see it from both sides. And I know a lot of... You know, a lot of cyclists will say, uh, well, hey, you know, we're not we're not cars, but we're not pedestrians. We're sort of these hybrid vehicles. And I have all of this uh, something I a friend of mine said, said, well, you know, when I'm coming up to a stop sign or a stoplight, unlike a car, I'm going slow enough and I have enough visibility that I can see whether or not it's safe to go all the way through the intersection. And, you know, but it's just not that hybrid kind of thinking just isn't going to work. So is it fair to say that while all of the laws that apply to bikes don't necessarily apply to cars. All the laws that apply to cars apply to bikes. Uh, I'd say that um, yeah, bikes have the um, same rights and responsibilities out there as cars in general. Um, and I'd also say, you know, when I talk to someone who's talking to me sort of as a, you know, what they consider themselves a motorist, they tell me, you know, all the bikes are doing this, and the bike right. bicyclists say, you know, all the motorists are doing that. Um, and thankfully, that's just not the case, you know. And so when we look at stop sign compliance, so we actually go out and count, you know, how many people are actually fully. Um, uh, uh, coming to a complete stop, um, you know, it's less than 5%. Whether you're in your car or you're riding a bike, um, we really all need to recommit um, because uh, the fact remains that um, uh, not enough people are stopping. I got to tell you, when I did the, uh, it was the, uh, the the hottest day of the year ride, uh, not not this year, last year, uh, with uh, this woman, Becca, who used to work in. She's a real avid cyclist. And I myself, I have to, uh, I'm not trying to make myself look better than anybody else. I used to always just go through the stop line, stop, you know, I had to hold it with just impunity. I'm fine. Go through it. And what actually made me stop that uh, was that I was riding with Becca, and she sort of made me feel like she sort of shamed me. We were so we were, you know, the hottest day of the year ride. There's like you know, whatever, a thousand bicycles or whatever, and we're biking along, and we come up to a red light, and the light turns red, and about seventy bikes go right through, and Becca stopped right in front of me, and she has this great sort of like she can do this great sort of mom tone, like the teacher tone, and she said, and she shook her head, and she said, you know, that's why people hate us, and I just went. Oh, okay. Me too. And I stopped it. That was actually the moment where I just sort of realized, like, I didn't want to be safety issues aside. Like, I didn't want to be some other guy that was giving a motorist a reason to be to to, to be angry about or angry at, uh, if for no other reason than self-preservation. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know, you know, you don't want you don't want those guys uh, pissed off at you. I'm you exactly know. the same way. Yeah, it makes me mad when you see someone being so irresponsible and like. Just being rude to drivers. Totally. Like, Why are you doing this to all the rest of us? Totally. Because then, then it's the yeah, You're just bringing it back on yourself. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program with Greg Raisman. What's up? Hey, this is Dion. Hey, Dion, what's up? Hey, uh, I was curious about, is it illegal to have, when you're riding a bike, to have the headphones in? Because in a car, I know it's illegal. You can't hear emergency vehicles, but I see the bicyclists all the time with their iPods and this and that. That's a good question. Good question. Just yeah. flying down the road. To the best of my knowledge, it's not illegal, although we do discourage it because it's really important that you can hear what's going on around you. Um, right. And, uh, you know, I, I know people that tell me that, gosh, you know, I use them and I use them at a low volume or I'm listening to talk shows and I can hear what's going on around me. But in general, I think it's, it's not the greatest thing to do because um, you just need to, to be able to get everything you can out there when you're when you're moving around. So not illegal, no, but probably yeah. a bad idea in your opinion. <laughs> you can't hear the car skidding on the pavement behind you. Totally. Well, yeah, in that case, you know, there's probably other things, too, that we'd be worrying about. All right. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Dion. 
Thank you. All right, there you go. Uh, just before we'll do, like, try to get a squeeze in a couple more here, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. We'll get contact info for you if, you know, if people want to have a question or they want to be able to find out more. Um, you know, the sort of the thing we sort of touched on but I haven't really talked about a lot is a lot of these skirmishes and these sort of physical confrontations even that have happened between cyclists and motorists. So if you are a cyclist, though, and there's some guy who is, you know, some jackass uh, who's just causing trouble, who do you call about that? You know, call the cops? Do you call the city? I mean, there are car- there are there are cyclists who behave irresponsibly. A lot of guys out there in cars that use that thing either as a weapon or in a menacing fashion. And that's a unique, I can tell you, that's a special kind of fear if you're on a bicycle and there's somebody in a car, maybe they're not actually trying to hit you, but you can tell when there's some guy in a car who is trying to make you feel afraid on a bicycle, and it makes you terrified and angry and helpless all at once. If you're on a bike, some guy's doing that. Who do you call about it? Well, um, you know, if we're a victim of crime, obviously, it's called police. Um, uh, 911, if crime's in progress. I think if it's something where it's more of like one of these harassment uh, threat type things like you're talking about, um, i take their license plate down, um, and then I would do two things. I'd probably call the police non-emergency line at 823-3333, and I'd also call the Bicycle Transportation Alliance at 503-226-0676, um, and uh, uh, they can uh, go through a service and um, uh, basically write a letter to the driver saying, hey, you were observed doing this on this really? day. Really? I didn't know that. Um, uh, uh, and so... Um, uh, they can work that way. So, um, you know, and the other thing I'd like to get out there, Brian, if you don't mind, is, you know, a lot of times we, um, uh, I'm going to play Brian, I told you, for the next hour. Um, uh, but, um, is, uh, uh, that, um, you know, while we're in these heated moments and kind of looking at these stories that, you know, a lot of times we focus on the negative, there's some really positive things happening out there. Let me give you one example. In the last decade, we've reduced the number of people that have died in traffic in the city of Portland by about 50%. And that goes across modes. Um, and so one of the things that's happening is, is we're making our city safer for the most vulnerable. It's getting safer for everybody. We're going to have to wrap it up. Greg Raisman from the Portland Office of Transportation. Thank you so much. We're going to have you on again at some point. Real quickly, people want to contact you or your office. What's the best way? Uh, www.gettingaroundportland.org um, or 823-CYCLE, C-Y-C-L. All right, Greg Raisman, thank you so much for coming in, my friend. I appreciate it. Uh, all right, we're going to have seen our radio correspondents, uh, Steve Kastenbaum, Amanda Moyer, and James Roop. Uh, tomorrow, Mr. Skin and Peter Carlin from the Oregonian. Uh, Rick Emerson, show produced today and every day with the lovely and talented Sarah Stillen for AM970 The Talker in the newsroom, Tim Rowland, phones Richie Bristol, the gatekeeper, Dave Zinn, director of engineering, Brian Jones, webmistress is Bridget from upstairs, and of course, CBS Radio Portland marketing guru, Susan Donaff with me, Reynolds. Like us next, Michael Mara Show at 7. Be safe out there. Watch out for snakes. See you all tomorrow now. Bye. In the movie Serenity.